Okay, Ted. George Washington. One. Father of our country. Two. Born on President's Day. Three. The dollar bill guy. Phil, you ever made a mushroom out of his head? So just like here. Alaska. Okay. Um. Had wooden teeth, chased Moby Dick. That's Captain Ahab, dude. Oh, wait. Remember Disney World? Hall of Presidents? Yeah, good. What did he say? Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. Hi. Brought you guys some food. It's your mom, dude. How's it going, guys? Bad. You're destined to flunk most egregiously tomorrow. Why don't you guys take a pin of rest? Now your dad's going for it in your own room. <laughs> Shut up, Ted. Your stepmom is cute, though. Shut up, Ted. Remember when I asked him to the prom? Shut up, Ted! I don't even remember. All I remember about Bill and Ted's bogus journey is death. That, like, Inmar Bergman death guy that they have? No, they're trapped in some weird, like, Alice in Wonderland type kind of thing. And I remember there's a, somebody dressed as a bunny or a big stuffed bunny or something. Here are the three things I've... No, I'm sorry. Here are the four things I remember about Bill and Ted's bogus journey. One, that the death guy steals every scene that he's in. Two, that sequence when they... I think they go to hell or some weird hell-type dimension. Some hell-type... Some hell-esque uh, area. And I think it's I think it's uh, Ted Theodore Logan who says we got totally lied to by our album covers, dude. Three. No, I think that's it. Oh no, three. Uh, when uh, uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire quotes the "Every Rose Has Its Thorn" lyrics, and four that the soundtrack to that is much better than the soundtrack to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. The only good thing on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is that song Two Heads Are Better Than One" by Dweezil Zappa. That's it. Bam, and we're done. All right. Why, hello, it's three minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this the month of August in the year of our Lord, 2007. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. We thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Is that, I don't know who they are. Did you get that from CBS or is that from Ticketmaster? From Ticketmaster. Ben Harper. Exclusive oh. pre-sale for Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminal. Sarah playing a Portland show in the Seattle show. Ben Harper is the kind of guy who opens up for Dave Matthews. <laughs> also, he's a very special guest. Oh, how sad. These are exclusive pre-sale tickets. Really? That's hard to believe. It's how sad that I know exactly what kind of music it is. I mean, I couldn't sing a song that he does. I don't know anything that he's recorded. I couldn't give you any an overview of his oeuvre. But when you say he's the kind of guy that opens up for Dave Matthews, suddenly say, I, I know it all. Every time he came through town, every girl in my sorority squealed with delight. <laughs> Oh, and squealing is exactly what it was, too. Boy, Dave Matthews. You know what we should do one of these days? We're not going to do this. Uh, we're not going to do this. Did I give you the wrong IP address? I'm sorry. I'm talking to Kristen Bowie here, who is, she's, I hate to put it this way, she's Scotty J today. I thought it was uh, 5105. Well, okay. I'm sorry. My fault. That's on me, as the kids say. Um, 
you know what we ought to do? Not today, but at some point in the future. Top five musical acts you really only like while you're in college. Because Dave Matthews would be right on there. I don't know anybody, except for the sort of perma students, I don't know anybody who gets out of college and continues to be really into Dave Matthews. That seems to be a thing that you only like during the four years that you're walking around in a stinking, uh, like a hothouse flower at Reed College. That's it. Once you leave, then you move on to normal, you know, like adult human music. Well, whatever. All right. Uh, hello. It is uh, Thursday, and welcome to Day 12. It's a Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us telephonically today with your comments, your clarifications, your two cents, your corrections, your what have you. It's uh, any sort of audio schmutz uh, you would care to uh, share with us. It's 503-733-2970. Also Radiohead. Yes, thank you very much, Chris. That's absolutely true. All right. Uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You'd like to join us on the uh, telephone. Uh, Kristen Bowie is in for Scotty J today. She is ready, willing, and able, standing by with bated breath and flying fingers to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the what have you. It's uh, 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Uh, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or, well, you can email Scotty Jane Taunting for not being here. I mean, if you really feel like you, if you really feel like you want to. All right. It's 503-733-2970. We got, uh, really? Okay, well, we'll get to that here in a few. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of soapbox derby emails that came in after yesterday's program. Oh, man, we worked for hours on that yesterday. Here's what I don't want you to do, Sarah, as we are coming up on your soapbox derby experience on Sunday. Stop saying Sunday. It's Saturday. Saturday. So people are writing like, oh, see, kiss, I'll see you on Sunday. You're really not helping me promote it if you keep saying the wrong freaking day. All right. Saturday. Touchy much? Okay. Here's what you I'm don't want to do. I haven't had a lot of sleep. What you don't want to then, really, then in your, your sleep-deprived, somewhat addled, uh, emotionally fragile state today, what you don't want to do, I mean this now, don't ever do this, Sarah. Oh, are you going to put love... in my head? No, I wouldn't do that. I'm going to do that. For the love of God. What you definitely don't ever want to do is to go to YouTube and type in Soapbox Derby Crash. I would advise against that with everything in me. Okay. Computer's right there. (laughs) Glorious quick time you can be watching those or whatever that format is. I'm just saying, and especially try to avoid the one where the guy slams right into a goalpost. Like right as he's going, there's the finish line, and then there's the big checkered flag held up by two big metal steel rods. Bam, right into one. Don't watch that. Well, you know what sucks is that I I said from the get-go that I do not want to drive. And then Dave, my teammate, started throwing a temper tantrum yesterday. He's like, I don't want to drive the whole time. I think you should drive. And I really don't want to drive. You don't want to drive the whole time. Halfway down the hill, are you going to stop and switch? No. When are you going to get on the other one's shoulders? Well, there are only a certain amount of runs, and I'm not a, I'm not a good driver in life, let alone in a soapbox car. Ah. Well, that's going to be wonderful. So now, yeah, so now I'm going to be driving that death mobile. Fantastic. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, phone calls here in just a skosh. Here's what's coming up today. CNN radio correspondent Lisa Goddard uh, will be joining us today. We will be talking to uh, Lisa Goddard. We've got uh, Ed McCarthy coming up. Uh, we'll also be... Oh, really? Is he talking about this business of senior citizens having sex? I was so hoping that was a story. <laughs> exactly because of that. I said it, and Tim just sort of curled his upper lip, but not in the sort of sneering, hot Billy Idol way, sort of in a, uh, I don't want to hear about that kind of a way. Sort of a, does someone smell ranch and cheese kind of a way? It's one of those stories, and I swear to God, 
we have this story like twice a year when they're not busy talking about the flower that smells like a rotting body in, in Britain. They, they, there's one of two stories that comes out. It's either how young people are having sex despite the Bush administration's insistence that they not do it. Put your penis away. That doesn't really ever work. It, or we have the story about how your grandparents are getting it on, uh, you know, with a writing crop in the back room. And you don't want to hear about that. Who wants to hear about your parents, you know, or your grandparents, or your great par- your grandparents pounding one out in the back, you know, the back room while you're, you know, out front watching cartoons? No one wants to think about that. See, no. But these people would be the same age as the people on Mad Men who are going at it. See, see, it's different. If you can see them in their own era, it's fine. Well, that no, that's that's what I'm saying because there's a. Uh, Hey, let me just tell you this, by the way, and I know this this really won't uh, mean anything to anybody except for the people in this room. The next time you see Dennis Pitsenbarger, because, you know, he's bespectacled now. Apparently, he is? he's wearing glasses now. They don't actually look too bad. They, they actually look okay. But here's the thing is, first of all, A, he did that thing that a lot of people do that I suspect Sarah Dillon is also doing. That he really is just blind, but he's learned to compensate, and so fuzzy is normal to him. And he, he said that he they put the glasses on him in the shop, and he said it was actually kind of jarring and a little unsettling how different everything looked with the glasses on. Apparently, it's just been a series of amorphous blobs to him all this time. So they, they put the glasses on him, and suddenly it was ding! Everything came into stark relief. But you go look at Dennis. You know what Dennis looks like? Dennis looks startlingly like the um, closeted Italian man uh, on Mad Men, Salvatore guy. He looks just like that. So... I'm just. Next time you look at him, you're going to picture him sitting next to you at the Kit Kat Club, having a double rock and rye. Uh, all right. Uh, so Ed McCarthy is going to talk about your grandparents getting it on. Uh, Lisa Goddard will join us. Steve Kastenbaum. We were just wondering about the fate of Steve Kastenbaum yesterday. Uh, CNN radio correspondent from New York City uh, will join us today. Apparently, um, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of buzzwords jammed together in a story here, and I don't really understand what it's all about. It, I'm just going to give you. I'm just going to give you the sort of buzzwords in this description, and you can assemble the story lead yourself. MySpace, MTV, web empowered, social networking, young voters, online interactivity. I don't really know what he's talking about, but it's got all the uh, it's got all the Madison Avenue approved uh, catchphrases there. So. I'm sure it'll be fascinating. Uh, Tim Riley has another uh, entry from the New Hampshire Association of Broadcasters. Uh, Another young broadcasting soul who we can relentlessly pick apart and critique until they suffer into a nervous collapse. Actually, this person's worked here since I did. Really? And there's... I worked this this in Concord. You worked there, too? Tim has worked everywhere. Tim has worked at every set of call letters on the country. Before you were born, and this person worked there then. Really? Oh, my God. So how old would you estimate that this person is? Going to be close to at least 60. Oh, no. Imagine being 60. I'm not trying to criticize. I don't even know who we're talking about because I haven't heard it yet, but I'm just saying... Imagine being 60 years old and you're still clinging to trying to win a national association of, or a, not even a national, New Hampshire Association of Broadcasters Award. But he he has uh, decorated his uh, CD box, oh. which nobody else did. And it is red, white, and blue. It's the same as when I worked there. A red, red, white, and blue logo. It's the same logo as when I worked. Fantastic. Many years ago. Uh, what else? Double penis watch coming up today. A geek watch. Our glorious bastard of the week. And we'll have an exciting edition of Rick Emerson's Whatever Happened To... Uh, we'll get to that uh, later on. It's 503-733-2970. We're joined today as are we always by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. How are you today? Oh, I've had better days, but I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. It's one of those days where I'm fine, but I feel kind of guilty about it now. 
It's one of those when I feel, you know, because there's nothing, it's, nothing bad has happened to me today. So now I always feel kind of bad because whenever I'm having a terrible day or a bad day or something's a little off, uh, you're always having a great day because something wonderful has just happened to you. And so now I speak Yeah, today not so much. Okay. Um, but I, we did finish our soapbox car almost in its entirety, and it is hilarious. Would you like to hear the email I got about your soapbox car yesterday? Okay. Dear Rick and Sarah. I've now seen a photo of Sarah's Derby car, and I would like to follow up to my comment yesterday about it being a homemade plywood death machine. Oh, that was like, that's a picture from our car from last year. Well, it was the same frame, though, and the same, more well, or less the, the same, same builders. No, it's not the same body. I'm just Completely saying. Completely different body. Okay. He says, I'm not suggesting that a car built entirely by drunks and girls isn't going to be sturdy and reliable, but... Regardless and of drunks and girls, <laughs> no, they're drunken, drunken girls, sir. It's okay. not two different groups of people. It's just one. He says, but regardless of construction quality, it still is a derby car constructed out of quarter-inch plywood, nails, and plexiglass that will be speeding downhill on asphalt. Have you seen the derby car? It's very angular, and there's sharp corners everywhere that eyes could easily be lost on. Worse, there's a short plexiglass windshield just yearning to lop off ahead when the brakes fail, and they're abruptly stopped by a concrete divider that sends all occupants lurching forward. As is most of the audience, Rick, I'm especially fond of Sarah. As such, I would like to suggest to my fellow Emerson Challenge pledges that, should Sarah finish this death race as a quadriplegic, they consider redirecting the raised funds not to the able-bodied Special Olympians, but to Sarah Dillon's recovery and care. Rick, while you can't be bothered to bicycle for the retarded, I'm sure you would feel compelled and obligated to bicycle to raise money to help get everyone's favorite furniture-crashing drunkard back into the studio and operating the board during your show with her mouth and a stick. Signed, Please don't die full of splinters, Sarah. Seamus. Thank you, Seamus. We appreciate that. You're a real pal. He's a good Joe. That's what he is. Well, see, that, our car last year compared to this year is pretty sturdy. This one, our car this year is very does it strangely shaped. Does it Does it jiggle ever so slightly as you move it forward at well, even the slowest of speeds? It hasn't quite moved from the backyard yet, so we don't really know. That's wonderful. How it's going to be running. Excellent. All right. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. And this just in. Hillary wants the Iraqi prime minister sacked following a scathing government she report. She wants his sack? Sacked. Oh. Is it fired? No. Okay. Gotten rid of. Uh, this after a uh, scathing government report expresses a lack of confidence in the Iraqi government. Barack Obama will visit Portland September 7th. A one-eyed man makes a bomb threat aboard a TriMet bus. Operation Noble Reserve is stirring the imagination of local coops. One claims the disaster scenarios are just a prelude to a nuclear weapon attack to be followed by martial law. I swear to God, this is why we were just talking about this in the kitchen. This is why I hesitated to even bring up this uh, Noble Noble Resolve. Yeah. Noble Resolve sounds like some sort of medieval cleaning product or something. This is why I hesitated to even bring it up in the air, because as soon as you start talking about something, man, it's like just a, just a nitwit brigade. They just come out of the woodwork, you know what I mean? And this is, and you know what I'm talking about. It's a whole bunch of Clyde's people. That's wonderful. And I do, I do have to, well, it is for them. I will tell you, you know who I'm talking about, that group of just the paranoid, delusional schizophrenics who walk among us with tinfoil covered watermelon rhymes on their head to keep out death rays. Yeah. Those people are never more happy than when they think the government is about to Kill them all. Really? Full of paper hoarders. I have never... That, that's exactly what it but is. But the world was supposed to come to an end last year, the year before that, yeah. the year before that. No, it's about every five months the world is supposed to come to an end. All right. Uh, I hope it doesn't, because I'm getting the trim on my house painted today. <laughs> 
by the way, we would like to thank the uh, Oregonian. We'd like to give the Oregonian the Rick Emerson Show's Strides in Diversity Award today. Uh, if you have a copy of the Oregonian, I would like you to turn to page E2. I had several people point this out to me today. I would like you to turn to page E2 of the Oregonian, and that you know they do that people and advice section up there, which is basically just a smattering of gossip and sort of a, a tabloidish news oh, of, the, of the tantalizing and titillating variety. I'd like you to turn to page E2 and look at the top where, right next to a poll quote from Chris Tucker, where he's talking about them giving up Evian water to brush his teeth after seeing people in Africa with no clean water supply. There's a big quote from Chris Tucker right next to it. Big picture of Chris Rock. So, there you go. So, apparently, if you work at the Oregonian, I guess I guess one black comedian is just as good as another there. So, I guess many of those 405 people that are working there, you... You might want to get somebody on, might want to have somebody assigned to the Telling Chris Rock, apart from Chris Tucker department. Just, just so you know. Oh, and uh, Lindsay... They fired the proofreader. Lindsay Lowen has just been charged with seven misdemeanors, including drunk driving, being the influence of cocaine, or a pair of traffic accidents. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all we're going to say. But not actually having the cocaine. No. All right. Well, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plunge boldly forward. I'm not going to dwell on it anymore. No. Uh, let's see. We'll get these calls here in a second. Uh, let me just read these very quickly. Uh, when do we have leases? 11.30? Yes, 11.30. Uh, let's see. Uh, about today's show, this email says, Hello, dear Rick. My name is Jordan, and today is my 26th birthday. Normally, I would be listening to your show at work, but I decided to take the day off. This will allow me to be informed and to provide an opportunity to listen to your show in the comfort of my own home. How sad that someone would squander a vacation day. Not that we're not flattered, uh, Jordan, but really, honestly, 26. You ever kissed a girl? I mean, come on. Um, I am also a long-time listener who has never talked to you in person, so I decided that I will make another attempt to get through the phones today. Love the show. Uh, and all that you kids do. Jordan. Signed, and then this is really the uh, the money shot here. Signed, P.S. I am from Florida and have a rat tail. Thank you. Uh, and finally this, then we'll go to the uh, phones. Rick, your continual ignorance is frightening. As the creator of the best daily radio show in the country, thank you, sir, your lack of knowledge on a subject you talked to CNN correspondent Lisa Goddard on Tuesday was glaring. Look, Kennewick boy, if you're going to work and live in Portland, you'd better be knowledgeable about all of Portland's important cultural history. Mark Singer, apparently your all-time hero, and one of them, Mark Singer, who uh, came to fame as, what's his name, Donovan, blah, 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 uh, Mike Donovan in V, uh, V the Final Battle, and V the Television Series, as well as in Do You See What I Hear and Beastmaster. He says, Mark Singer and Lori Singer, the troubled daughter of the Reverend John Lithgow in Footloose, are brother and sister. And then, here's what I didn't know. Listen to this. I'll take things I didn't know about Portland for a thousand. He says, they both grew up in Portland. Do some research before you and your CNN sidekicks have snotty conversations above the rest of us. <laughs> he says, I don't think this is a firing offense, but you really do need to have a letter put in your permanent file about this. Uh, Jeff and West Lynn. All right. How sad that I'm being corrected by somebody from West Lynn. That's just depressing. It's 503-733-2970. Let's get a couple of these higher on the Rick Emerson radio program. How may I help you on this fine Thursday? Hey, Rick. How's it going? Hi. What's up? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Sarah, I've talked to Dave about the design of your car, and uh, it sounds deadly as all hell. Fantastic. I know. <laughs> it's scaring even me. Would you uh, like to make out some sort of a will uh, in the next day or two, Sarah, should you not survive? Can, she, right. she might want to. We okay. can make an, an on-air will. Fantastic. Okay. Well, and then uh, I was also going to mention the Soapbox After Party, which is happening 
of course, after the soapbox. And can I plug that a little uh, bit? Well, I see no way of stopping you. Go ahead. All right. It's at 4 p.m. at Plan B, which was formerly Acme. It's on 8th uh, and Madison. Yep, 1305 Southeast 8th. Uh, Muddy River Nightmare Band is going to be playing. Uh, a band called Motorama and the 3M... Uh, DJ Collective will be playing as well. Excellent. And it's All cool. Right. That's, and, a, that's uh, a neat place, too, because it has a huge back patio. It's like three oh, times the size of the bar. So lots yeah, of huge. And stuff. Fantastic. All right, so, thank uh, you. Good luck uh, there, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody who says good luck, when they all say good luck, it seems like a good idea at the time, our idea. Uh-huh. It, I'm just saying, all, when they say good luck, it's always like that scene on, well, recently on Battlestar Galactica or on any one of those uh, any one of those, those, those movies from like the 50s or the 60s featuring a guy heading out to the flight deck. And there's always, they always walk out and there's always some sort of totemistic thing that they do on the way out of the room. Like they'll slap a picture on the wall or they'll, you know, there's like a picture of a dead pilot that they all like, you know, that they all salute or something on the way out of the room. It's always just as a guy's going off to fight and impossible mission against overwhelming odds. He's got a girl back home two days away from getting out of the service, getting back stateside and setting up a little uh, little hot dog stand somewhere. Next thing you know, taking him out with a dustbuster. Wow, Coin just got rid of Ed Whalen. He's been there for 30 years. Who? Ed Whalen, the sports guy. Ed Whalen, what about him? Coin got rid of him. Well, now he's gone. Monday oh, he afternoon, was so nice. Monday afternoon, he was called into a meeting and told his contract would not be renewed. He was given the option of going home immediately, but he went ahead and finished the 6 and 11 o'clock newscast. That's a pro. He is a pro. his 30 years and stepped into a box and went home. Who fires somebody in the middle of the day? Ed Whalen, I met him. With he two is, shifts left to go. He is the nicest guy ever. Oh, I sent another Peter Carlin column coming about our friends at Coin. Ooh, he should try and get an exclusive with Ed Whalen now. I think it will. Let's try to get Ed Whalen on the phone right now. I was say, Ed Whalen, if you're listening, you probably are. Was that yesterday? That was yeah. Monday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's... Unless you're, unless you're busy with something else. Um, he's probably available for an interview. You know who Ed Whalen is, don't you, Rick? I don't. I don't watch television. He's, a, he's very jovial. He's like, and this, huh? Like, he's, he's a very jovial sportscaster. Yeah. No, I just, I don't really watch, I don't really watch network news. There's just no point. I get all my news no, from Tim Riley. That's what I'm saying. But, if it's on, but it's on, like, a network television station. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, yeah. It's, Tim, after being in a room with you, I'm chock full of news. I'm full to the brim Let's go. Uh, with news. All right, I don't have time to get to, uh, to yeah, any of this stuff here. Yeah, we have a correspondent at uh, I will say this. Coming up, the other thing we're going to get to today, uh, we will get to uh, whatever happened to. Uh, we'll have uh, Lisa. we got Ed coming up. James Roop joining us from Los Angeles. Um, and Oh, I'm sorry. Steve Kastenbaum, rather, from New York. And we will get to a very special top five today, a brand new top five. One that I don't want to put too much uh, too much importance on. I want to be a little melodramatic about it. I will say today's top five is one that I... I've put off doing. I've postponed it. I've uh, I've forestalled it. I, I've been working on it for a long time. It's just because it's taken me a while to get it right. I've been working on this uh, the top five for, I would say, my entire life. I would say my every step I have taken in my 34 years on planet Earth has led me one incremental notch at a time toward today's top five. Today we'll be doing the top five most flawlessly written pop songs in all of human history. Now I know you had to pick the one today. I did. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the one I didn't bring with me today. So, uh, top five most flawlessly written pop songs in all of human history. And if anyone's that ever listened to the show, I know exactly what your number one oh, is. Oh, you'll totally know what it is. Well, you might or you might not. Oh. You do. All right, back after this is the Rick Emerson Radio Pro. <laughs> He won't leave me alone. I'm glad you saw the fly, too. 
because otherwise it becomes like a whole gaslight kind of a thing. Where you know, it was tell scary. me you saw the lights dim. I forgot to tell you this. When I was working the other night, um, uh-huh. some of our um, our articles, of course, we got a bunch of persons in from Thailand. Yes. Opened the box from Thailand, a giant bug flew out, <laughs> and we couldn't find it. You know what it is? This is chapter one of like some hot zone type novel. Yep. You're gonna fast forward five years. Portland is gonna be a ruin, like Thunder the Barbarian, and it's gonna be covered in vines. Everyone will be dead. And you know why? It's because of it. Because you are sort of the unwitting uh, star of a Ray Bradbury-esque short story, where you opened that purse, the bug came out, and now we're all going to die. And Thanks it was kind so much. of moist inside of there too. Oh. As bug flew away, and then we would see it every it once in a while. inside. Because we're in this basement room. It's it's pretty big, but it's a basement room. That we would see it every once in a while, like, buzzing it out of corners. You know why it was moist in there? Because uh, that's where the human flesh upon which it was feeding had been stored. So think about that. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with now, you? Now, there's a huge fly buzzing around in the studio. And, again, I'm glad you saw it because otherwise I'm over here flinching, looking like I'm just having an attack of physical Tourette's or something. When I worked at Coin one time, there was a huge fly flying around the studio, and then all of a sudden it was gone. Took a sip of my coffee. Oh, there it was. Oh, yeah. You got all bell out. Something bumped my lip when I was drinking. I'm like, oh, it's so nice not having that fly in here. <laughs> oh. oh, good times. Have you ever... Let me ask you this. Okay, and then we got to talk to Lisa Goddard. we got Jordan. Okay, the guy who emailed us earlier, mission accomplished. I guess, his, I guess his day is over. He emailed us, and he's like, hey, I listen a lot. I'm never able to get through on the phones. Um, and people ask us sometimes, like, well, you know, I sat on hold, or I wasn't able to get through, or, I, you know, and it's... It really is. It really just does depend on the moment of the show. When people say that they're unable to get through on the phones, sometimes it's real easy. You know, like if it's like we're doing the news or we're doing something else that's not phone intensive. Sometimes it gets real busy. So it is just kind of luck of the draw uh, whether you're able to get through. But so Jordan is right here on the phone. We'll get to him in just a second. He's the guy who took today off from work, apparently just so he could get stoned. I'm sorry, uh, sit around the house uh, sipping um, Chardonnay listening to the program and then call in and he identified himself as being from Florida and having a rat tail. So Okay. That's how you want to be known. Uh we'll get to him in just a second. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson show. From the hill. CNN radio correspondent Lisa Goddard. Hello Lisa. Hello, how are you guys? I'm a little twitchy today. Sarah's in kind of a dark mood. Uh, Tim is having a fantastic no, I, morning. My, the things that have happened, I should be in a dark mood. But you're not? I'm actually not. I'm, are I'm you in, in that pleasant mood. Are you in that sort of, like, so much has gone wrong that you're just on a weird wave of paradoxical giddiness? I'm kind of zen right now. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Hey. I'm, and I'm just feeling, it's. I'm not even in a bad mood. I didn't want to talk about this because I don't want to make it. I was just go on about a thing that, you know, it was just a me deal. But um, the last couple days, I don't know if this has really been evident. Uh, on the air. Please don't call to Wayne about whether it's evident on the air. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, because it's, it's pointless to have all discussion about it, I'm just feeling kind of twitchy the last couple of days. Hmm. And when I say twitchy, uh, I don't mean like I'm physically twitchy. That's only when this stupid fly is buzzing into my face while we're here in the studio. Um, it's just, I feel, here's the thing. If I did not know better, and I'm not, and I realize when I say this out loud, this makes me sound like a crazy person. I'm simply saying I know this isn't the case, but... Symptom-wise, if I did not know better, if you had to ask me how I'm feeling, I would say it feels as though my wife has secretly been dosing me with Prozac for the last couple of days. That's exactly what I'm feeling like because I feel the last three or four days exactly like I felt when I used to take Prozac, where it's just, which I know is supposed to make you calm or something or happier charming or personable or tolerable in some way and it didn't do any of those things for me when i took prozac it just made me it just made me twitchy and it made me feel like i was vibrating even when i was standing completely still and that is exactly how i feel the last couple of days so you know, I'm, I'm completely picturing you as tweak from south park going, ah! 
Yeah. So I'm uh, <laughs> so I'm solving that problem as as only I do uh, by drinking. Only in three... your mind, though, like that it's not like really physically apparent to everyone else, but but in your mind, it's like. Mah! No, in my mind, it's like I'm in squiggle vision. Uh, so oh I'm God. so I'm addressing this problem by consuming 300 milligrams of caffeine before every day's program. <laughs> I'm trying to sort of. You know what I mean? It's sort of like a feed of fire, stuff a cold, or whatever the hell that thing is. Right. Anyway. Stuff a cold, feed of... Wait, wait, yes. I don't even know what we're talking about. How's your life? How are things? Stuff a cold, feed of fever. It's good. You know, I have to just, from the outset, I suspect you uh, were contacted by your listeners yesterday, but Lori Singer is, in fact, the sister of Mark Singer. All right. Now, are you saying this because you got an email from somebody? No, no, because I looked it up after we got off air. Would you like to... I read this earlier, so I won't recap the whole thing. It just says... Rick, your ignorance is frightening. Mark Singer, apparently your all-time hero, and Lori Singer, our brother and sister, they also grew up in Portland for a while. And you know what? I've been here for 10 years, uh, more or less. I mean, I grew up in the Northwest. I spent most of my life here. I know, you know, a fair uh, a fair piece about, about Portland history. Never in my life has anybody pointed out that Mark Singer and Lori Singer are from here. No one's ever told that to me. It's amazing to me. I yes. I don't think it was for their whole lives. I think it was just for a chunk of time. But I mean, you know, you know, I'll take I'll take any Beastmaster connection to uh. To She's Portland. quite a girl, that Lori Singer. The more I read about her, wow, she was multi-talented. Do you remember watching the V miniseries on NBC? Was she in that? Uh, no, but Mark Singer was. He of played, course, he, right? Of course, he, duh, right? Yes. Well, you duh. Yes, I was a huge V fan. He played uh, television reporter Mike Donovan. <laughs> Yeah, it was a great job. I was actually going to use. Um, we start. Um, um, we start every day's program here with a little excerpt from a film or a, you know like a speech from a movie. And today I was almost going to start with something from V, and then oh, I ended up not doing fantastic. it. Fantastic. No, I used uh, I used Bill and Ted's I Excellent Adventure instead. But V is still a great movie. It holds up. I would encourage you to get the V original miniseries on DVD featuring a feature length commentary Ooh. by writer director Kenneth Johnson. Really? Because I did see it just uh, within the last two years. I seen it and i was amazed at how much it held up it is some of the special effects a little corny but um yeah, like the little alien baby yeah it was good the, was the good little stuff. the little rubber-headed alien baby that comes <laughs> yeah. out of um that comes out of elizabeth's stomach yeah um all right i will give you i'll tell you this right now uh lisa goddard i will give you whatever uh, whatever uh, money is in my pocket right here of my uh, of my uh, levi's i will give Boy. you i will give you all the money in my front left pocket if you can now tell me the um the uh, visitor word for peace. Oh, I can't. All right, that word is pretonoma. Wow, I yeah. Both disappointed and also <laughs> a little scared. Now it makes me feel good about myself. You feel a little sad for me. <laughs> All right. But, um, yeah, it is. I wish I now. I know. All right, fantastic. I uh, <laughs> I hate to sound like I'm just sort of. Um, I don't disrespectfully sliding right into the story about Iraq, but I mean it just no. I, and, and I don't mean and I just have to say this well, is a what's, disclaimer. You know, how, how, what's the best way to slide into a story? Well, and I don't mean for for people to think. I mean, anybody who's a longtime listener knows that uh, we are not flip or disrespectful about about the war, of course, or, or anybody who is serving there or is going to be serving there, or anybody. I, I mean, obviously, you know, there's in no way would we ever make light of the situation. It, but by the same token, it just seems like. There's just such a colossal either overstatement every day or understatement about something. It, they're, they're, every time the news reports something about Iraq, it's either that, you know, developments in Iraq are, quote, troubling, or that George Bush is convinced that any day now we're going to be opening a Starbucks, like right in the middle of Baghdad. There really does seem to be no, like, middle ground in terms of realistic reporting. Apparently now, American officials are, quote, curbing their vision for democracy in Iraq. So that's a little bit of newspeak, if I've ever heard it. What does it mean that we are, quote, curbing our vision for democracy? 
Well, this comes out of this story today where we, we now have what's called the NIE, which is National Intelligence Estimate. And that we've talked about these in the past. The last one came out in January. The one coming out today is an update to that. And, and this is where the 16 intelligence agencies that we have in the U.S. all get together and figure out what they can agree on about any given subject. Uh, this, is the, this one is about Iraq. And in this estimate, there there is significant... Um, I would say dark wording, significant. You know, if you wanted to put positive spin on it, challenges. Uh, but they do. They're they're very clear that uh, not only they, they do say that there have been improvements in security, but they do say they've been uneven. Uh, they have been measurable. Overall, the intelligence communities say that pulling out of Iraq would just lead to more destabilization and would cause a lot of different problems. And they go into detail to some degree about what those different problems would be. But they do. Uh, really give a overall negative assessment about the Iraqi government and say uh, at at best that these this next six months to this next year are are going to be difficult for the Iraqi government uh, and they also say that not not only as we all know that there are issues between the Shia sects and the Sunnis in Iraq but now we're seeing more and more and and we've reported this but it, being in an intelligence estimate is a different matter now we're seeing more and more conflict within the Shia community, for example, in Basra, in southern Iraq, which used to be one of the more uh, safe areas, less violent, we're now seeing fighting between different Shia factions as Shiites believe that they are going to essentially rule Iraq and different groups within the Shiite community are fighting to be at the top of the heap. So the situation essentially is as complicated or more complicated than ever, but this intelligence assessment is saying, taking all of this into account, we're admitting that there are problems here, here, and here. We're saying violence has gotten a little better here and here. Uh, other places, not as much. But we think that if pulling out U.S. troops right now would just make things worse. We think that uh, there would be more destabilization, there would be more attacks between different religious communities. We also think that the government would not be able to stand. There would be this huge power vacuum and a fight for power, and, and we just think right now this gradual improvement uh, it is what needs to happen. From a political point of view, it, do you suppose it was a mistake yesterday that uh, George Bush was talking about Iraq and he kept invoking the word Vietnam? Right. Do you think that's a thing he does? Like because because he came up with it as a nifty idea and nobody's everybody's afraid to tell him that maybe he shouldn't start using that <laughs> word a lot. Well, you know the funny thing about that speech is that most of that speech focused on Japan and Korea, but he did in fact say that the pullout of Vietnam in his in his opinion showed a weakness or caused a weakness in America, and then also that it it, it hurt millions of lives afterward. He didn't go into other parallels about Vietnam, but he, he he's trying to say, listen, we pulled out of Vietnam and we felt those effects for decades, and if we pull out of Iraq, it would be also a mistake, which is, which is really a fascinating way to look at Vietnam, and he's not the only one who looks at it that way, for sure, but I think that Democrats... Uh, cried out immediately saying, wait a second, we put out of Vietnam because it was a mess. And, and, and I'm, I don't have the transcript in front of me. We did play some chunks of it yesterday. I am fairly yeah. sure, although not positive, but I am fairly sure that he actually made the statement during this Vietnam, the speech comparing the Iraq to Vietnam. He actually made some reference to the, to the, the problems uh, in Vietnam uh, following us to America. Uh, which is just a weird thing for him to say because it was just a weird statement. And I maybe I have to go back and look at the transcript, but it it did seem 
like he was conflating about four different military conflicts into one sentence. He did uh, put a lot, it's true, with a broad stroke, and he also ran into, I think, some, some very legitimate criticism uh, when saying that the conflict in Vietnam brought such expressions to America as the killing fields. Well, the killing fields really is most well-known for the conflict in Cambodia, which some say was, of course, an outcropping and had to do with the way America handled Vietnam as well uh, and the whole Richard Nixon era and before. So, you know, in simplifying Vietnam and saying, oh, that's where we got the the phrase, the killing fields, first of all, obviously, he didn't see the movie because then he would have known that it was not about Vietnam. But but I think you're right. A lot of people said this is way, this is such an oversimplification. It was a fascinating speech because, on the one hand, he tried to use the example of something that's seen as an American failure, uh, Vietnam in general. Uh, you know, and that's, even I feel like I've got to be PC about it, but I think most people agree that, that Vietnam did not go well. I don't know that everybody looks back at that and that we should have another one of those. Right, exactly. You, to use that as an example for Iraq, but then most of the speech was pointing to Japan and saying, look, here was a country, in his words, that had a surprise attack on us. They used suicide bombings. There's a man who wanted to spread his empire, trying to draw parallels between the Emperor of Japan and Osama bin Laden, and saying, look, we stuck in there, we didn't give up, and in fact, we stayed in Japan, we rebuilt Japan, and now they're one of our greatest allies. Well, so many people say this is such a different situation, that that Saddam Hussein as a ruler, of course, very different than Emperor Hirohito, and also saying that in Iraq, the reasons for going into Iraq, we, we were not attacked by Saddam Hussein, which almost is part of the implication that the president made, and which, which he's made and many people have criticized since the very beginning, trying to attach September 11th to the beginning of the attack in Iraq. Now al-Qaeda is in Iraq. It is a factor. And combating terrorism does mean fighting in Iraq. But if you're talking about the beginning of the war, it is it is a different argument altogether. You know, it really, and I do have to say this about about Iraq or about anything having to do with this administration. When you listen to both sides go at it, and it's just the liberals and and, and the conservatives will just go at this hammer and tongs, just all day parsing each other's sentences, and it really is like watching two really uh, ultra caffeinated, completely uh, sexless nitwits argue on a message board all day long about some fine point in one of the Star Wars movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is. It does get to be a little bit like that, and but the the difficult thing is, these fine points aren't solving the problem, and these fine points have to do with something that 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 could affect oh the future of the world. Oh no, absolutely. And, and so just... it's it's such a you're right. It's it's really frustrating to listen to this debate and and see how they're using typical political attacks. No, it's really like they're just spending a lot of time. I think that's why Americans get so frustrated, if I may put forward a slice of personal philosophy, of because I think Americans feel like it's just one big, really angry bout of sentence diagramming. You know what I mean? So, by the way, I just have to note through this entire conversation, I really, I don't know if this means I need to bathe more frequently. There is a fly in the studio. Yes, I heard. I it's, heard this fly. It's really, it's coming at me like a zero kamikaze. I mean, <laughs> no, speaking of. Seriously. All right. Okay. Well, I got I gotta go deal with this. Uh, this which slide. reminds me of, of course, the curb your enthusiasm episode, which I don't see, and I'm I'm woefully. You don't. You have, really no, you're not curb your enthusiasm. I was guy. well. I was a casual curb your curb your enthusiasm. But in other words, I don't have anything against it. You are so Larry David. I well. I know. I, I'm shocked. I'm like you said. I'm shocked I, that, that I, you are I, not. I oh, that's say, a great show. I love look, it. Look, every time I watched it, I laughed. I loved it. It was great. Um, it's just one of those things that I never bothered to watch. Regularly, I didn't b- bother to become a religious viewer of it. I own seasons uh, 
two, three, and four. Really? Okay, mm-hmm. so here's the thing. So I'm finishing Battlestar Galactica. Uh, yeah. When I'm done with that, maybe I will watch Kirby Enthusiasm. Great show. I just never, you know, and it was just one more thing I never get a chance to see. You know what I mean? So uh, You should check it. There's a, there is, there's a good one involving a uh, an, an aging kamikaze pilot and his son, and Larry David essentially is like, well, so he's still alive? <laughs> like, so he wasn't really a successful kamikaze That's pilot, and it, and, and it just goes from there. And hilarity ensues. All right, Lisa Goddard, as always, a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Are you, uh, are you on tomorrow? Um, I'm not tomorrow. I'm actually, uh, we're, we're buying a house tomorrow. You and Scotty J. Um, not, you and, not you and Scotty J. Um, uh, yeah. the, uh, so is it noodles? Do you know? Is it noodles? Um, you know, I think it might be nobody. I think it, I'm not sure. Maybe noodles. I don't know. It's Friday. Congress is gone. They might. They I might don't know. I, you know, if I don't get to talk to Bob Costantini at least once a month, I feel all empty inside. Well, you know, there's there's a rumor about town that perhaps they're going to hire a third CNN Washington person. So maybe you know, we'll see. All right. Well, you know, that would be it'd be. I mean, okay. you know, I would completely call in, but this would be the exact time that will be. Uh, no, no, no. Ridiculous amounts of documents. No, it's fine. I under, I understand that. I'm just. Uh, it's okay. We're, it's all right. I'm not going to feel slighted. Don't worry about it. No. All right. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I was actually just thinking about something completely different. Actually, when you talked about there was a rumor that they were going to hire a third Washington person, I was going to put forward a sort of a snarky comment that they might actually, uh, you know, look into getting somebody else who deals with the West Coast, since by the time most of the shows on this part of the country go on the air, like 80% of you people have gone home. I know. I know. I completely agree. Or, I mean, I think under this, we would have, I guess, three in D.C., one in New York. Yeah, two in Atlanta. Yeah, we don't really count. Don't and worry about it. I think it. the problem is we've got Jim Root, but, I, I mean, I kind of think let's, we got to throw somebody to Chicago, like the whole middle of the country. What are we doing, people? Well, seriously, and Roop is so drunk most of the time he can barely well, stand. I mean, come uh, on. Jim Roop is fantastic. <laughs> no, you, it's one of his endearing traits. That's why we love him. That's the thing. You guys got the very best one, so that's why it's balanced like this. All right. Uh, hey. enjoy, enjoy your day. Enjoy putting down your earnest money or whatever that is, and uh, we will uh, we will have speaks with you in the uh, in the new week. Great. All right. Thank you, Lisa Goddard, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. All right. Tim Riley is just waving something in my face. Well, you asked this about is... this a few minutes ago. Oh, this is and George I, I Bush. Went back and found it. I this. Fantastic. Talking about the uh, talking about the uh, the Vietnam thing. I swear to God, somewhere in the speech, he says that like the Viet Cong followed us home to supermarkets or something. Well, let's hear it. I I cut these back again. Oops. Am I potted up here? Uh, yep. Let's see. Okay. The price of America's withdrawal was paid by millions of innocent citizens whose agonies would add to our vocabulary new terms like boat people, re-education camps, and killing fields. Killing fields was in Cambodia. Yeah. For the was, record, it wasn't even was that, What's his name? Was that Pol Pot? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's right. try this one. Unlike in Vietnam... If we were to withdraw before the job was done, this enemy would follow us home. See, that doesn't make any sense. that is why, for the security of the United States of America, we must defeat them overseas so we do not face them in the United States of America. How did the Viet Cong get here? I don't... And when were they here? I don't know. I think think they came through the immigration department and we said, well done. Welcome to America. All right. Well, whatever. Doesn't matter. I mean, that just... I think he's just, what's that phrase? Making crap up there. Is well, he's been he's... doing it for quite some time now. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's noticed or cared. All right. They would follow us home and set up reasonably priced noodle shops. And we can't have that. Jesus. I mean, seriously. Don't forget the nails a lot. No sense. Uh, Jordan. Hi- oh, this is uh, Jordan from Florida with a rat tail. I just recently have a rat tail, so it's not like a lifelong That's commitment. not true. It takes a long time to get a rat tail. 
Well, I had long hair, so it was kind of hiding underneath it. And then my fiance cut all the rest of the hair off, and then I had a rat tail. Let me ask you this, and yeah. I don't wish to start our conversation off adversarially. I'm just saying, you're 26, so you're the same age as Sarah. Is a rat tail a thing that the kids are, are really wearing these days? And look, I'm no one to pass fashion judgment. I'm just saying, I thought that that was kind of an 80s thing that had then gone away. I've never been very fashionable, so yes, um, you know. <laughs> all right, fair. And you are from Florida, so the bar is said that is sort of the Gresham of you know of the East Coast. Uh, Kristen, just type on the screen. Kids from Gresham wear them. Okay, um, <laughs> excellent. So when, from when, uh, from where? What am I trying to say? When did you come here from Florida, sir? Uh, five years ago to the day, actually. Excellent. What brought you here from Florida, apart from the fact that this is here and that's Florida? Pretty much that, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And I'd so, never, I'd never been here before. Just decided to. Did you really just pick it out of a like? Did you spun a globe coming to America style and just landed on here? Yeah, it was like Chicago or Alaska. <laughs> yeah, you don't, um, yeah, you don't want to do that. And those, those were too cold for my, you know, my weak self. End up rotting away in a school bus somewhere. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Um, yeah. Well, welcome, so, welcome to Portland, sir. And so, what kind of work do you do? Well, I work in a kitchen. I'm a musician, you know, by trade. Of course you are. Tour all the time. Excellent. Uh, what uh, what kind of music do you play? Rock and roll. Fantastic. Rock and or roll. Excellent. Yeah. Well, rock. Sometimes a little roll. Just a little bit yeah. of roll on the side. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Totally. Well, well, thank you for listening. Are you spreading the word about this fine show? Man, I used to listen to you guys years ago, you know, way back when, and uh, then you guys went off the air. Yes, we saw did. You, saw you being bigger than Jesus years ago. Thank you. You were awesome. It was great. Thank you. And, I appreciate uh, that. Uh, actually, my fiance worked at Billy Reed's uh, during the era that you had the listener party there. Oh, man, when we had that listener party where the air conditioning went out and people were actually having to drink, I know this sounds cool, but people were actually having to drink beer straight out of the pitcher because there were no glasses. But people did that every night there. So yeah, It I mean, really is. It was a way of life at Billy Reed's. It really was. Nobody noticed. Mark Reed, I remember he talked to you the next day, and, and you could just hear the chagrin in his voice because... He's like, yeah, it was a great time having you guys there. That was that party we had where there was, a, was bunch a week, of, and there was a bunch of chain puking upstairs. There was that chain vomiting that happened. We were oh, doing a spaghettios, spaghettios contest, oh. and like one guy started to, and like uh, mailman Chris, I think, has a fake upper plate or something, or his teeth, and he's like puked them right out into his food. Fantastic, oh, good times. Yeah. All right, well, sir, you continue to spread the word. You call us anytime, my friend. Cool, yeah, and I'm excited, sir. I'm excited about the soapbox. So. Oh, cool. Are you gonna go? Yeah, we'll be there on Saturday. Saturday. And, uh, we'll, we'll have a big, we'll have a big great game there. So awesome! All right, thank you, sir. All right, guys. All right, thank you, Jordan. There you go. Fantastic. Let's welcome now to the uh, wait. I got it here. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson show. I know Sarah thinks that this theme is a little bit of a buzzkill, but Steve does seem to like it. Steve Kastenbaum from New York City. Hello, sir. I like it, but I can see where she's coming from. We need a little bit more oomph, right? Well, the problem is that bass line is really what, you know, that sets the stage for the whole thing. It's the gathering of the clouds. You don't want to, uh, you know, the, the, you, you don't want to cut that part. All right. But then right there, it kicks in. He's got the little horn section, the little Tower of Power thing going on. Yeah. Uh, we work with a guy here who did a great turntable remix of the Barney Miller theme song. And that sounds a little daft, but I'll play it for you one of these days. It's actually really great. Uh, how's life? How are things? Man, I just got back yesterday from Peru, of all places. And I don't understand, man. We got our TV critic just went to Belize, uh, where I swear to God, the tourism slogan there is, you have to see it to Belize it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I just happened to pick a country where there was an earthquake. I mean, by, by sheer consequence, I went down there, and two days later, there was an earthquake. Maybe so. you caused it. You might actually be the fabled <laughs> Antichrist. It was uh, the results of uh, the food I was eating. That's what caused the earthquake, yeah. Uh. 
A, uh, oh, okay. Uh, okay, a couple things. A, uh, Tim Riley in the CBS Radio News Department here just showed me this. The, uh, apparently, did you see that there was this... Is there some small collapse at the World Trade Center site? Yeah, it just happened. Not not too big a deal. Um, a small part of the scaffolding that's surrounding the entire building, and some of it's on the interior. Yeah. Apparently uh, collapsed. A couple of firefighters just had some uh, what they call contusions. I don't know why they can't say cuts, but um, the, just all minor injuries. So so not a big deal. Just really kind of ironic that it happened uh, just a few days after this horrible seven seven alarm fire that right. uh, resulted with the two. Fatalities, yeah. Um, so there's a story we talked about this earlier, and there's, I, I didn't even really read the whole uh, the, the thing here on the prep sheet. It was just I just read all of the catchphrases. It just just doesn't seem to be a, con- a conglomeration of buzzwords. It, MTV, President, MySpace, Web Empowered, Social Networking, Real Time, Online Interactivity, Young Voters. So I don't know what any of this means. So you have now to explain to me exactly what this story is about. All right, so remember the last presidential election, Sean Puffy Combs was behind that whole... Vote or die! Die. Yeah. And remember how it really resulted in no additional votes? Which I I guess means that, I mean, I'd say he's still alive, though. So yeah. really, I feel somebody got jipped out of something. Yeah, they, they, you know, there was a lot of hype about it. They had all these events, and in the end, when they counted the votes, there really wasn't a significant increase in the number of young people voting. So I mean, now... I'm, I know I'm late to the party in this, but what did vote or die even mean? That just, that's just illogical. It was all about, you know, if, if you don't vote, you give up your right to basically live your life because somebody else is, is making the decisions for you, right. is what they were saying. So this time around, they're deciding, they've decided, or some folks have decided, that the, the way to get young people interested in presidential politics is to go where the young people are, and that's MySpace.com. And they're going to have these sort of dialogues with all of the presidential candidates, the top-tier and, and, and second-tier candidates, and they are going to do one-on-one Q&As on MySpace. They'll take questions from young people via instant messaging and email. And uh, each candidate will get about an hour when they do this. And it'll be just a one-off thing. They won't have all the candidates together, just one candidate at one time. Uh, so this will take a couple of months to do uh, between September and December. And they will have this webcast, not televised on TV, but it'll be broadcast on the web on MySpaceTV.com and on MTV.com. This just doesn't make any sense, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, here's why this just smacks of absurdity to me. A, I cringe whenever they try to make voting sort of hip, uh, you know, or anything good for you. When they try to make it sort of like like you're like it's a hepcat thing to do, it right. just makes my skin crawl. It really, and I don't think I'm alone there. Um, but I will tell you this. Here's why it doesn't make any sense. The idea that you're going to be uh, pushing political activism on MySpace because that's where kids are. That presumes that kids don't watch TV. You know what I mean? Like, television is where kids are. MTV is where kids are with Rock the Vote. I mean, college campuses is where kids are, and it doesn't work there. So I, the idea that it's somehow going to work on MySpace is, is just illogical. I well, mean, you know what the problem is? They're, they, they just don't want to vote. I mean, the numbers show it. You know, people, people under the age of 23 really just turn out in, in very small numbers uh, for presidential elections, uh, even, even, even for the big ones, right? And, and so they're trying to get them involved, and, and I just came from a country where it's the law. Everybody has to vote. Is that uh, Australia? That, uh, Australia, uh, but also Peru. They have the same law there. Everybody has to vote. If you don't vote, you get a massive fine, and, and in the country there, uh, where the average person uh, sub, subsides, uh, sub, subsists, subsides, lives on $25 a day, uh, I'm sorry, $5 a day more or less, 
you know, not being able to work if you don't vote is a big deal. So they have 100% votership. You know, the thing about it is, though, there's this common refrain. This is just one of those pieces of, I don't know, conventional wisdom that people mindlessly pass along that isn't true. People say, well, you know, when you're young, you're very idealistic. And then as you grow up, you become, you know, more and more clear-eyed and you see things more realistically. And that's not true at all. It's exactly the opposite. It's that... Because, look, all the people you know that really blindly, stupidly, uh, moronically trust the government and become all narrow-minded, they're all old people. The older you get, and you can see that the older you get, the more conservative you get and the more you trust the government to do everything for you and to keep people who don't look like you out of your neighborhood. When you're, re when you're really young is when you are, in my opinion, when you are young, is when you are clear-eyed and you see things as they really are. Young right. people are fully aware that if voting actually changed anything, it would be illegal. Uh, when you, As you get older, though, that's when you start to cling to this fiction that the government is here to help you and they're going to make a difference. Right. That and, would be my opinion. I, I would agree, because, uh, you know, I remember being uh, in my young 20s and thinking that all the answers were very simple, and they were all out there for us, you know, and they were very obvious. And, and now... Everything seems so complicated to me, you know. So you're right. You are you are much more clear-eyed as a young individual, and and I think the problem there is that you realize, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, all the all these guys are politicians, and they're all the same. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There you go. So the answer is, yeah, I got nothing. I was waiting for some brilliant, like one one word slug to come to me there, and I had nothing. All right. Well, that's a good joke to end this. I wish on. I had an answer too. That's okay. Let's. You know what? We'll just go out with this again. All right. Steve Kastenbaum, New York City. Good to talk to you, my friend. Glad you're back. We'll speak with you soon. Looking forward to it. Right, Steve Kastenbaum. You totally choke like Lelena did in Reality Bites when she says the answer is in a valedictorian speech. Oh, I thought you were doing the, uh, it's when something like, is really the ironic. Is. The answer, and she forgets, and then she says, I don't know. Is that and where Rick, the, uh, you just did that. Is that where the, the wind blows her cards away, or is that Ioni Sky? In, uh. No, Ioni Sky is the go back. I know, but which one of them has her cards blown away? Is that Monona Ryder? Yeah, that's Monona Ryder. All right. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Show. And they wonder why those of us in our 20s refuse to work an 80-hour week just so we can afford to buy their BMWs. Why we aren't interested in the counterculture that they invented as if we did not see them disembowel their revolution for a pair of running shoes. But the question remains, what are we going to do now? How can we repair all the damage we inherited? Fellow graduates, the answer is simple. The answer is... The answer is... It's time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A one-eyed Tramit bus passenger has been taken into custody after claiming he had a bomb. No explosives were found. A uh, 43-year-old... He's 43 years old. He looks like he's 60-something. Uh, Ryan Newide. Ryan Newide? Newide with one eye. A one-eyed oh. Newide. Oh. How, how, I mean, really, what are the odds? He's charged of with disorderly conduct. What are the odds that he's missing an eye and his name is Newide? I mean, I'm not even going to make a joke he about it. He was on a bus near 82nd in Flavel. Well, of course, you're not going to put that he, guy downtown. He threatened a driver and the bus was evacuated. A canine and a bomb squad unit were sent in to secure the air and check a suspicious backpack. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. He's not a driver? 
No. Oh, I thought he was a TriMet driver. No, no, he's a passenger. Okay, and I was... Well, that makes a lot more sense. I was actually going to... I mean, I was almost going to be impressed that TriMet gave a job to a guy with one eye. Especially in a job where you think you would need depth perception. So, no, he was a rider. Okay, see, that makes a whole lot more sense. Well, either way, it does make maybe sense that he's on 82nd. Maybe the passengers that had an explosive. Well, maybe he well, would. Uh, I mean, he's on 82nd. Mm-hmm. He's got one eye. He's probably all mad at life. Oh, I, I mean, see. Seriously. Yeah. Stupid 82nd, stupid single eye. I will kill you all. I'm tired of my gene pool. <laughs> Fantastic. You will all suffer the brunt of my ocular wrath. Well, in better news, Barack Obama is hosting his first community event in Portland. It's going to be Friday, September 7th. Mark it down on your calendar. Uh, this is being held at the Oregon Convention Center, so there's uh, plenty of room. Doors open at 8 o'clock. It's a fundraiser, and it costs you 25 bucks to get in. Wait, this is who? Barack Obama? Yeah, Barack Obama. Where? Where? Here. When? Uh, September 7th. It's a Friday. Nah, I'm busy. All right. I might actually go 25 bucks. Yeah. I might actually go just for the, you know, well, who am I kidding? Just for the show prep. I might actually go just so I can come here and then make a bunch of jackhole comments. Television. Really? Is it going to be on the? Is it going to be on the TV? I would imagine they're going to send reporters there with cameras and whatnot. <laughs> well, there are fewer reporters to send every day, Tim. I know. Hey, by the way, Ed Whalen is apparently still on the uh, Coin TV website. As Tim noted, maybe they fired their webmaster as well. Or maybe they're just a part-timer. Who is it that's running that station? I mean, really, honestly, who is, let, they, is it run by Cylons? Is it just who are the... There's oh, just one big scary-looking guy in a corner office that everyone kind of cowers around. I think you were going to say scary-looking guy in a corner. No, he was really... That's crazy, Ted. Yeah, it was a sad time to work there. Welcome to Coin TV. Waiting for their, their email. Yeah, seriously. Did you say that he was really given, like, 30 minutes to put everything in a box? Yeah. That's... There you go. Basically. Anybody watch uh, Fox's Anchor Woman premiere last night? No, I was busy suffering through America's Next Top Model. Well, uh, apparently not that many people did. Anchor Woman was beaten in its time slot by repeats of ABC's According to Jim uh-huh. and NBC's Most Outrageous Moments. Now, is it true that According to Jim actually has Courtney Thorne-Smith late of Melrose Place and Allie McBeal? I don't know about network television programs. I never get, go down that path. I didn't even know who Ed Whalen was. Um, well, Anchor Woman follows his former beauty queen, swimsuit model, and world wrestling diva, Lauren Jones, as she tries to transform herself into a hard-hitting news anchor in Tyler, Texas. At a CBS affiliate, KYTX. That's that's the mark of that's the mark. Murrow would be proud. And some are say it makes a mockery of serious journalism, which <laughs> we all know television is. Yes, yeah, seriously, because because we're you know television journalism really is a bastion of quality and uh, taste and uh, integrity and so forth. And I will say this that uh, we did have the most American moment ever in my house last night. This is just if, the quintessence. Of American life, mm-hmm. sitting on the sofa watching America's Next Top Model while shoveling snack chips into our mouths. Just sitting on the sofa, <laughs> sitting on the sofa with a huge bag of like Chipotle Doritos. I love their show about models. <laughs> that was it. That was that was my house last night. Bam, good times. Here's Tim Riley. An Alaska mom is uh, charging her teenage daughter with theft. Daughter? Yeah, because the 15-year-old stole more than $700 from her to buy a one-way ticket. The Juno Empire reports Elise Pringle's daughter recently returned to Juno after her family discovered she flew to Seattle on Alaska Airlines with their permission. Beside the theft charge, Pringle is on a mission to change airline and TSA policies regarding teenage minors who fly alone. Airline personnel never asked the girl for identification when... How could that happen? They never asked for identification when purchasing a plane ticket? And when uh, she did, she paid for it with $5 bills. Uh, Seattle Airport authorities look really. Yeah, can I pay for this with crumpled up ones? Mm-hmm. 
They found her waiting for a connecting flight to North Carolina where she was supposed to, to uh, meet her online sweetie and so, get hitched. Uh huh. So she flew out of where? Here or Seattle? You know. To I don't know. You know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't even trying to get you to do that. You know. No. Seattle. <laughs> and then she was supposed to connect to North Carolina. So I guess, in, well, how many people really, I mean, I guess how many people are flying out of Alaska? I mean, maybe it's just one guy, some guy named Snuffy leaning on a broom. I need to fly. All right. Snuffy will get your ticket. I mean, that's it. So it'd be like zero hour, like all those old 50s films, mm-hmm. like the Ted Stryker thing where the guy just runs into, a, uh, runs into an airport. I need one ticket to Chicago. And then here you go. And just hand it to him. Mm-hmm. You know what I was doing last night? Here's when I wasn't busy eating uh, Doritos. And watching America's when Top I wasn't model. busy eating Doritos and watching America's Next Top Model, I was, which is a glorious time, by the way. I don't even like that show, but any show is tolerable if I have Doritos to eat while watching it. Mm. Um, I was, uh, for some reason, I was spending a lot of time reading about D.B. Cooper online. I don't know why. Um, I think it's because, uh, well, it's because I'm a retard. Um, <laughs> I was going to try to come up with some other reason. But I was reading up on D.B. Cooper last night, and it just is a whole window into a different time. Because, you know, D.B. Cooper, that thing where it's like, you know, he didn't have to show any ID. He didn't have, that's, why they, that's why they were never able to nab the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was just like, hello, I'd like one, one ticket, you know. Well, what's in your briefcase? Never you mind what's in my briefcase. Well, okay, here's your ticket, you know? And what's in his briefcase? Well, the big thing that looked like a bomb. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. Um, also, here's a really frustrating thing about D.B. Cooper, and I don't mean to hijack this whole conversation, um, but the, the thing about D.B. Cooper is that they have all these guys that are supposed well, not supposed that are suspects, these guys who may or may not have been D.B. Cooper. Uh, like, there's some guy in Carolina, and then there's some guy. There's actually a guy. I don't have his name in front of me. There's a guy who's still living and alive and well in Portland that a bunch of investigators have, like, flat out said, like, it's him. I forget his name. It was on. It was in the Wikipedia thing. But they're like, they're like, this is the, and there's a photo of him. They're like, this guy. They're like, he's alive and well, and he's, like, 65 years old, and he's living in Portland, Oregon. We swear to God, he's D.B. Cooper. And there's a picture of him, and the woman... The, the flight attendant on the plane who actually talked to D.B. Cooper, got the note from him, did all the communicating with him, like at no point have they ever just sat her down in a room and sh- like they did the Zodiac thing. At no point have they ever just sat her down in a room and showed her a picture of this guy and been like, is this him? It's so frustrating. I'm reading the article. I'm like, what? You know, and they talk about the stewardess who's still alive. I'm like, why haven't you found her and just showed her the picture and just have her have her say like, yes or no, that's the guy. You know, they ought to put me in charge of these investigations. I get some things done. All right, here's Tim Riley. You're during tootin'. Well, we got a couple more days left for Operation Noble Reserve, and after that, uh, well, there's going to be a nuclear attack on Portland, <laughs> according to conspiracy theorists. We should totally start a new segment where you read some really alarmist news thing, uh-huh. followed by a really long pause, and then like a disclaimer. Thank you. Thanks so much. So Operation Noble Reserve, apparently now underway, is a drill to help break into a new computer program designed to coordinate state, federal, and local authorities in case of a natural disaster, that, terrorist attack, right or their emergency. Yeah. Uh, some of the simulations include a 7.2 earthquake centered 20 miles east of Portland. That would be Troutdale, wouldn't it? Or Gresham. Uh, the drill is also testing how the Oregon National Guard itself would work to create a major emergency in concert with local and federal authorities. So this drill is a part of a government plan to attack the city with a nuclear weapon and then establish martial law. I'm sorry. It was just irresistible. I had to play. All right. So, but is this now, do we know, is this... And now we, here we are Truthful back. news? Here we are. No. Well, of course not. <laughs> no, this is mindless propaganda that we're just passing along. Okay. 
If some buxom blonde was sitting here reading it, would that make a difference? Well, I probably would be paying uh, even less attention. Mm-hmm. The Okay, so this is Noble Resolve. Yes, Noble Reserve. Noble Reserve. I'm sorry. No, doesn't Noble Reserve sound like a, like some sort of Hefeweizen, some sort of McMinimins brew? It does. You know what? I'd like a, a glass of Noble Reserve, please. Thank you, and some and some wings. Uh, the so there's this, and this is when there's there's this. This is going on till the 24th. But is it going on now? Yes, it is. As we speak. As we speak. So this is the dirty bomb test. Or the nuclear warhead thing. They're not telling us which one it is. Oh, I see. We have to wait and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I guess all will be revealed. But it doesn't matter because we're going to be attacked by nuclear weapons so we can establish martial law. Like there be anybody left for martial law <laughs> to be established for after you, dropping a nuclear bomb on Portland. You there, pile of skin. <laughs> At attention. You there, cindering pile of ash. Do as you're told. So, well, all right. Uh, so, there you go. So, if you're uh, some conspiracy nutcase, there you go. Just chew on that, I suppose, like a like a big, like a big gristly thing. Um, it's almost over. And then there's the... <laughs> Just go home and start a short book. So, there's that, and then there's the Operation Top-Off or whatever. And that's some other thing. But that's happening in October, I guess. Yeah. But we'll all be dead by then, right? Right. So, there's no point. Mm-mm. I'm not going to worry about it. Okay. So that's that. It's probably good that I'm between novels. Mm. The, the city of Portland has agreed to pay a $50,000 fine to settle a lawsuit filed by three parties upset at a 2004 raid on the Gypsy Joker Motorcycle Clubhouse. The police went to the clubhouse with arrest warrants for two men who were wanted on a series of home invasion robberies. The suit charges the police used a battering ram and fired tear gas rockets into the clubhouse, despite the fact that the door was unlocked and there was no resistance. Uh, not to mention that the men, uh, oh, the wanted men were there. According to the lawsuit, the police used, uh, oh, they clubbed a member in handcuffs for five hours without charging him. They clubbed him for five hours? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. He was a club member, and they kept him in handcuffs for five oh, hours. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they injured a woman's foot. And they even damage your little clubhouse. No, I was seriously. If you're a grown man and you have a thing called a clubhouse, you need to be beaten. I mean, seriously, you've got a beating coming to you. You hear that, Gypsy Joker motorcycle? My, you know, my idiot brother. I'm sorry. One of my, uh, one of my many siblings uh, was a Gypsy Joker um, in his uh, in his pre-Jesus days. It sounds like a musketeer. No, it sounds like a group of retards. <laughs> what it sounds like. Can I just say this? A, if sure. you're a grown man and you belong to something where there's a clubhouse. You ought to get one right in the junk. You know what I mean? You ought to just get one right in the unit. Um, How about a treehouse? Secondly, well, at least that would be honest. You know what I mean? With like a no girls allowed sign with a backward S. You know, what's this? It's our He-Man Woman Haters Club. Well, okay. Secondly, if you drive a vehicle that is designed to be louder than it needs to be, you ought to be taken out back and just stomped. Just stomped relentlessly. You know what I mean? And I'm not just talking about motorcycles. We've all been behind some dick, some uh, some some ass on the road, driving like a big truck, like a big Toby Keith truck. Mm-hmm. It's some truck designed so when he hits the accelerator, it just sounds like some huge vehicular flatulence coming right at you. That guy ought to be taken out back and just stomped into a paste. You know what I mean? If you drive a vehicle that has been purposely made louder, you are a waste of skin. A waste of oxygen, and you ought to be dealt with accordingly. That's all I'm saying. You should be left in Portland for this nuclear detonation. <laughs> or be beaten by, maybe clubbed for five hours by the police. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, here's uh, Tim Riley. What can you do? I, I know what we can do. We can, well, never mind. 
Sounds like it's being taken care of for us by the man. Uh, the man who shot and paralyzed in presidential candidate George Wallace 35 years ago will be freed from Maryland prison in December. That's a word from a case of management official at the Correctional Institute of Hagerstown. Uh, this fellow is, uh, let's see, 57-year-old Arthur Bremer. Remember him? He'll Bremer. be released 18 years early due to good behavior. Oh, this is the George Wallace guy? And for holding a clerk's job at the prison. He opened fire at a campaign stop at Laurel, Maryland. In 1972, striking Wallace and three bystanders. The Alabama governor survived the shooting but suffered permanent paralysis. He died in 1998. Now, I forget. I get, I get all this mixed up on my head. Was he shooting Wallace because Wallace was leaving his segregationist stance? Probably. Or was he just crazy? Or I guess it doesn't really matter. No. It doesn't matter. You know, it's one, one, <laughs> really one. It's just that Southern on Southern violence. I really I can't say that I care all that it's much. the same group it. of people, really. Seriously. It doesn't matter. Uh, once he is freed, uh, Bremer will meet regularly with the parole and pardons officer until his sentence officially ends in May of 2025. In the year 2025. I was just going to do that. If Bremer is alive. Okay. Atlanta police are to meet with Juanita Bynum to discuss charges against the woman's estranged husband. Bynum is a nationally known evangelist uh, who was allegedly attacked by Thomas Weeks III in a parking lot of the Renaissance Hotel yesterday. The bellhop of the hotel said he pulled weeks off the woman. The husband then left the scene. Police were notified after Bynum went to Piedmont Hospital and checked in. She was bruised around her neck and up her torso. The couple had met at the hotel to try to reconcile. Apparently things didn't work out. <laughs> Some reconciliation. Uh, a fight broke out as they were walking to a parking lot. Uh, she'll likely file charges. Bynum's fiery and frank sermons about the women's empowerment have won her a national following. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. How you doing, man? What's up? Not not to digress from whatever tangent you've moved to, but yes. going back to the uh, vehicles that are louder than they need to be. Yeah. Who the hell told these teenagers that uh, taking an economy front-wheel drive car and putting a giant muffler on the back made it a race car? No. That's... That's what I'd like Seriously, to know. Seriously, you know what it is? It's the same people that told teenagers that they look really styling when they're driving one of those weird dwarf mini bikes down my street at about <laughs> 2 in the morning. Those yes, ones, they, they just sound like a, like a mosquito on steroids. It's a whole lot of... And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, you know, my kingdom for a shotgun. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, now, now if, they have their, if, 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 if they're just taking to the racetrack and race them, that's fine. But I really don't want to hear them screaming through my neighborhood at, uh, uh, you know, 3 in the morning. And it's always Sounding, late at night. Yeah, sounding like they're going 130 when they're only going 30. No, you, you know, just because it sounds fast, it doesn't mean it is fast. My wife right? and I were driving home the other night. It was late. It was I don't know, like one or two in the morning. We were driving driving home from somewhere, and we're on. We're going up Powell, and this guy on a motorcycle. And you can always tell these guys. And look, I'm not saying all motorcyclists are bad drivers and blah blah blah. One bad apple right. spoil the whole bunch. Blah blah blah. But the, but you notice the bad ones. I mean, you notice mm -hmm. it, the a holes on bicycles that you really are on motorcycles. Or the, well, and bicycles too. You notice the the ones are really obnoxious the guys zooming guys with up a hard ass look totally yeah and he's yeah he's all tough he's all man <laughs> he's course. he's all man on his on his like you know on his harley davidson which he has like trucked everywhere um, oh yeah you know <laughs> as george carlin noted he gets it trucked to sturgis um but he's exactly. zooming up behind queen. us comes up behind us and you see that single headlight approaching really quickly swerves into the passing lane zips on bias my wife and i are driving we have the sunroof open it's nighttime, but we have the sunroof open. We're talking. He, the, the motorcycle is actually so loud 
Because the guy's got a tiny penis, of course, just minuscule. And so the oh, motorcycle yeah. is so loud that we actually have to quit our conversation because it is so deafening. And he's probably three, four, five blocks away before it is the volume level is low enough that we can talk to each other. And all we could think of, and we're bad people for this, is just how satisfying it would be if that guy were to just go like face first into something made out of concrete. <laughs> just so, and, you, and you've all thought the same thing. When you hear that <laughs> guy go by you, you want nothing more than for him to go right into a stop sign. Just no, right no. into it, and do it until he's a big pile of cream. Now, speaking of making up for uh, uh, something smaller than they like it to be, yes. how about these, these giant four-wheel drive trucks, like to call them disco trucks, with these $20,000 paint jobs on them, huge wheels, huge exhaust, they're like six feet off the ground, and the guy doesn't do anything but drive to his office to work every day, and he doesn't take it off-road. There's no use for it in the no. real world, is there? No, I mean, no, there's be not, reasonable, sir. right? Spade nope. spade. Come nope. on. No, nope. no, you're actually so, right. About anyway, Thank that you, was sir. it. I appreciate the call, Rick. Take there care. There you go. All right, here's Tim Riley. A state forensic scientist who said she tested her husband's underwear for DNA to determine whether or not he was cheating on her has <laughs> been fired. Uh, Ann Chamberlain testified at a divorce hearing that she ran the test on the underwear of Charles Gordon Jr. Asked by her attorney what she found, she answered, another female, and it wasn't me. She said Creepy. during the long hearing... She ran the test in her own time with expired chemicals that have been thrown away. Well, okay. The Michigan State Police, who oversee her laboratory, <laughs> announced that they had fired her after conducting an internal investigation into violations of administration policy. Be fair. That's that. So uh, let's talk about uh, Barack Obama some more, shall Can we? Can we, please? Is this about the... Uh, coming to Portland. And because he's becoming duller by the day? Yeah. And am I, am I imagining that, or is he, with every speech he gives, just becoming more and more uninteresting and it's just completely generic? Family values and such. I suppose. He was on the uh, Daily Show with Jon Stewart, uh, telling the popular host that Americans are tired of uh, political rhetoric. It's not true. People know it's not true. All the insiders understand that we're just game-playing. And in the meantime, you've got these hugely serious problems. He's yes. really stepping out on a limb there. Uh, Obama, what does it mean to have experience? We try to remind people nobody had a longer resume than Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, now, this is his one talking point. When people talk about experience, what they really want to know is, does he have good judgment? Uh, Obama said it's time to take things into a new direction. So what we want to try to do is to start talking about judgment. How do we actually get stuff done? What's common sense? Uh, maybe I won't. That was almost 10 seconds. Maybe I won't pay $25 to see him. I just don't even know how I'm going to be able to stay awake during that. Do you remember there was that, like, three-week period where he seemed really interesting? Like, he would talk, mm -hmm. and he'd sort of go, hey, that guy sounds energetic. Sounds like he's got an interesting idea or two. Now it's just all other. It's going to be all Hillary. Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, Rick, i got to set you straight on why motorcycles are loud, buddy. Oh, God. Do, do you right, know why they're this, loud? Let me understand this. Let me see if I can. Let me Hold on. Let me look into my crystal ball, Miss Cleo style, and see if I understand. Is well, this, gonna... Hold on. Just let me, let me see if I can guess. Okay. You ask the question, do, you, do I know why they need to be loud? Is this, is this going to be related in some way to motorcyclists who seem incapable of obeying regular traffic laws and they want to switch <laughs> lanes like idiots and then therefore they're going to justify their loud motorcycles by saying it's to protect themselves when really they could do that if they just didn't drive like a-holes? No. Uh, okay, uh, just which do you hate worse, loud motorcycles or idiots on cell phones? Uh, people on loud motorcycles. Really? 
Well, you, the reason why people have loud motorcycles is because idiots on cell phones change lanes without looking. So if they don't hear you, they don't know you're there. See, and a side swipe at freeway seeds on a motorcycle, much more hazardous than you'd think. Well, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to dispute that there are all kinds of people on on cell phones that are morons. But my thing is, a guy who's a guy who drives badly with a cell phone is just a guy who drives badly. Period. He just happens to be holding a cell phone. Like if you look, let me tell you, there was, uh, and this is not a woman driver thing, but this does happen to be a woman that I'm talking about. There's a woman who cut in front of me the other day on her cell phone, talking a mile a minute, not paying attention to anything, zam, zip, you know, pulls over right in front of me, doesn't look. If I hadn't seen her and slowed down, she would have hit me. That's fine. But you know what? You and I both know a person like that, if it wasn't a cell phone, it would have been like a sandwich, a Jackie Collins novel. You know, it would have been something. So, Corollary, though. Yeah, you it, had to stop your conversation in order to deal with the motorcycle, right? So think about that. If you had to stop talking to see the motorcycle to hear it, you get you follow? Uh, uh, sure. All right. I'm just saying I'm just saying if really if driving and I've made this point a thousand times, it, when people say that driving that we're talking on a cell phone makes you a bad driver, if really if talking to someone else actually speaking while driving a car is too much for you, you shouldn't be allowed to drive at all. 100% right there with you. And, you know, I don't care for a lot of motorcycles either. I, I'm right there with you, but I know why they have to be that way, because people are idiots. All right. Thank you. And then he's on the way the gypsy right. uh, joker motorcycle. They're on their way to be beaten for five hours. Yes. This email says, Rick, I was surprised to see the first hour is up right now and see and uh, not in, oh, say, three hours from now. Then I heard that Kristen is there and Scotty J is gone. This is great. Scotty is a tool. That is all. Thank you, uh, Jake. All right. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a break here. A British Petroleum, otherwise known as BP, said it has changed its mind about dumping more waste into Lake Michigan. BP had posted a statement on its website pledging to meet its previously allowed pollution limits. Uh, and they've been dumping things into the river for a long time. BP was granted a new permit earlier this summer, allowing it to increase the amounts of ammonia and suspended solids that it dumps into a lake. Suspended solids. That sounds really interesting. A heavy criticism ensued, including petition drives and commercials that mocked them. In a prepared statement, British America uh, uh, Chairman uh, President Bob Malone said, ongoing regional opposition to any increase in discharge permit limits in Lake Michigan creates an unacceptable level of business risk. Therefore, we're going to continue to dump things into the river. I don't, even, can do about don't it. even know what the story is about. All I do know is this. I was on some, uh, like the New York Times.com or something the other day, and there was an article about British Petroleum. This is just the, the editorial position of the paper. This is not my position. How BP was, I guess, just... You know, flagrantly violating laws or poisoning things or killing fish or something. Right and there. then and then just right above it, though, right above it, a big banner ad for British Petroleum. And it was like, making America safer or something. It was some, you know, making the air cleaner to breathe. Making fish smile right. more. <laughs> With all four mouths. We should take a break. We'll come back. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come. CNN Radio Correspondent Ed McCarthy. CNN Radio Correspondent, uh, no, I guess, I keep saying Roop. But I don't know why I keep saying that. It's because I'm not terribly bright. Uh, so we got uh, Ed McCarthy coming up later on. The top five most flawlessly constructed pop songs of all time. And more with Tim Riley. Stay there. Radio program. It's 503 Coming up later on, CNN radio correspondent Ed McCarthy. The top five most flawlessly constructed pop songs of all time. 
Uh, we'll do an exciting edition of whatever happened to. Uh, and we, uh, I might have time for. Uh, oh, well, we got this New Hampshire Association of Broadcasting submission from. Uh, let me see here. Right here. Well, I'm sorry. Where you're? I think your mic is off over there. WOKQ. WOKQ. Great. Over Rochester, Portsmouth. Great mornings and country favorites. Excellent. So I love. I dig the red, white, and blue label. Oh, damn. no different than when I was working. No, it's true. How sad. How sad this had, this had like home stamped cover on the CD. Mm-hmm. All right. It's one of the better ones though. Really? Is it good? Is it, is it good? Oh, I'm not saying the newscast itself. <laughs> Just the packaging. Uh, your newscast is doggerel. I did, however, admire the groundbreaking construction of your packaging. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Uh-oh. A Portland firefighter has been caught racing his motorcycle on Burnside. A police-certified arson investigator with Portland Fire turned himself in this morning after escaping from police on his racing motorcycle. A 40-year-old Harold R. Aragon and another rider were racing on East Burnside when the officer spotted them. Police said he pulled off, and then he took off on foot. Aragon turned himself in this morning and has been charged with speed racing. Trying to elude the police and failing to display a driver's license. How could he was running? He's an arson investigator with the Portland Fire Bureau and was put on paid administrative assignment, but not as an investigator. I, uh, I'm not going to make the speed racing joke. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hey, hey! I just want to uh, kind of make a comment on motorcycles and cars as bad drivers. Is yes. that okay? Hey, Kristen, we, did we lose the call from the... Uh, there was a guy on hold who said... This is how it looked on the screen, and then we'll get to your call here, okay? There was a guy on the screen who said... I don't even remember his name, but it was... da 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 doesn't doesn't think Rick likes him very much. I was really oh. desperate to hear from a guy who was worried that I didn't like him. Oh, he hung up. How well, I really happen? don't. Well, I really don't like him now. In fact, I hope he dies. Oh. <laughs> Slowly. Alone. Okay. In a flop house. Covered in roaches on his Ew. own vomit. That's I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Hey. Uh, go ahead, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hi. Hey. Hey. Um. Anyway, I just want to tell you, you know, I I drive uh, for a living all over the Portland Metro, Vancouver, and I tell you, ninety nine percent of the drivers that are bad are not motorcycles. They are cars. Oh no, most people. I mean, most people on motorcycles. I think. Look, I think it's simple Darwinism. I think if you're a bad motorcycle driver for too long, you're not going to be a motorcycle driver for too long. Uh, I think that you will be in a small box in a hole somewhere. So I think, you know, the good ones tend to be left. Yeah. 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 And uh, I was one of the calls that said Courtney Thorne Smith is on, according to Jim. Okay. Uh, how does she look? Does she look decent? She looks great. All right. I mean, guess, uh, standing next to Jim Belushi, it's all relative, I suppose. Well, yeah, that's why she's on there. Yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> like standing next to some sort of real-life uh, Leroy Neiman painting, you know what I mean? Just all, just a ba- bunch of splotches and vagueness. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Kay. Okay. Bye. All right, there you go. Fantastic. Yeah, delivery drivers know what's up. They uh, they have to deal with those people all day long. Here's Tim Riley. A sixth hole will be the last one drilled in a rescue attempt at that mountain in Utah. Of the six miners who've been trapped since earlier this month, the mine owner, Robert Murphy, said uh, no one connected with the rescue effort has any idea where to drill after the sixth hole is completed. However, Jackie Taylor, whose uh, daughter's boyfriend is trapped, tells the Today Show she doesn't want that effort to end. We need that closure in our lives also. And so we plead to him, please get our family members out. Uh, well, this is the company already, what are they, they tried to just sort of say, well, that's uh, better luck next time, right? Yeah. That was their kind of take on it after all this time. Uh, people are not willing to give up. And we do have members that, of the rescue team that are willing to go down there to get our family members out. 
Yeah, it's just creepy, that whole that whole thing. I mean, I... Did you see the signs outside of there? No. People no. were leaving signs like, um, you know, dig them up and, like, get them out, like, where the miners are. Uh, it's really creepy. Uh, especially because the guy said, like, initially, well, they, they could survive for many, many weeks down there. So, so that's unnerving, especially because it's not... It, they, as I understand it, not to be all morbid about it, but it, they didn't even stop the search because the guys were dead. They just because they, they don't know one way or the other. They just stopped it because they figured it was kind of dangerous to continue. Mm-hmm. So that's just man. That company you talk about a company that's not going to, going to exist anymore. They're going to be value jetted right out of business. I'll guarantee you. Here's Tim Riley. Well, Iraq's young government will become more precarious over the last year. That's according to a newly declassified U.S. intelligence assessment. It'll become more precarious? Yes. Is that physically possible? I guess so. Okay. And they don't like the prime minister either. Uh, and the president has given his voted confidence to the prime minister publicly anyway. He's uh, attempting to squash uh, speculation that he's distancing himself from the Iraqi leader. Well, since he sent him back to Iraq, I guess he is distancing himself. I don't even know who the Iraqi leader is. There's a president. Uh, that's uh, uh, Al-Malaki. Is he the president or the prime He's minister? The prime minister. Who who is? Uh, they don't have a president. They have a prime minister. Nah, no, no, no. That's not true. They have both. I think. I don't think so. <laughs> Such Americans. I don't even know. That is just me. I guess. I guess I don't know. I well, after London, it's going to be a trip to Baghdad for you. I really ought to. You know, well, I told you that I kind of, in a weird way, uh, as much as I don't really want to travel, if I did want to travel, I kind of do want to go to the former Soviet Union. That does sort of appeal to me, and I've never really been able to put my finger on why. I mean, I realize it's not going to be sort of, you know, the romantic kind of, you know, the, the, the but ima- it's all westernized now. imagery. Yeah, it's not like it's going to look after, you know, like in 1917. But uh, I know there is sort of a strange appeal to me that uh, that, and I think that the thing, I, the reason I probably won't go, is because I don't think that I am interested in seeing Russia so much as I was interested in seeing the Soviet Union, which was sort of, I don't know, I, romantic is the wrong word, but it did have a certain sort of perverse. You know, kind of weird authoritative aesthetic appeal to it. It's gray. Yeah, well, and gray and cinder block. I, I think I just want to beam myself right into Red Square and just kind of see that. I think I just want to see the Kremlin and then I just want to go home again. So, uh, well, it's doable. Anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. I think there is a president and a prime minister, but really only Lisa Goddard knows for sure. And I think there might be a parliament. Maybe. But it's inside that green zone. They're on vacation, they're at Disneyland. All right. And Hillary uh, Clinton wants to get rid of that prime minister anyway. She said so today. She's really? Yeah. She can, you know, she's a person who would get you get take you know gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hillary Clinton. That's why we're always really nice now, to Scott her. By Jay, the way, he knows all the stories about Hillary Clinton. Getting <laughs> she's killed hundreds of people. But really, I, Hillary Clinton probably hasn't killed anybody. But you get the feeling she's not above it. You know what I mean? You get the feeling all she has to do is lift that eyebrow and things happen. Suddenly, you're in her statuary. Mm-hmm. Scott, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick, what's going on, man? Hillary's a gorgon. Um, I, nothing much. I'm just uh, rolling along, sir. How can I help you? Well, I, I, was, I was thinking about that, that uh, firefighter that was caught speed racing. Yes. And, you know, it, it's a shame that he just didn't pull over because you know that it's like a buddy-buddy system. You know, the cop just probably would have let him go. Well, there's sort of an understanding. There's a, an arrangement, I always assumed, between various... You know, uh, between various parts of uh, you yeah. know the, the, the you know city civil servants, you sort of go, hey, come on, cut a brother a break, and then they kind of go. Well, yeah, well okay. actually, actually, it probably would have went something like this. You know, the cop would have pulled him over, saw that he worked for the fire department, and made the obligatory, "Where's the fire?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny. Wait, hold on, I wasn't. Uh, is that a wah wah or is that an Ed McCarthy? That's a. Uh, we'll call it a. Uh... No, I don't even know where my Ed Laffy. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, Scott. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Where was I? I have no idea. None. Well, Zero. Uh, drawing a picture of a gun has landed a Phoenix, Arizona, junior high school kid with a suspension. 
Cecil Reynolds of the American Psychological Association Zero Tolerance Task Force said the suspension should not have taken place. I think this clearly is a case of zero tolerance policies having run amok and an absence of common sense in reviewing children's actions and deciding on discipline. They don't know if this was a threat or not. Nothing ever, if you notice this, that when something is amok, it's always run there. Mm. Nothing has ever gone amok. No. Nothing has ever skipped amok, sped amok, loped amok, ambled amok, uh, jogged amok, hoofed amok, galloped amok. It's always run. Everything just runs amok. Uh, also, blah, 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 sucks to be a student, blah, blah, blah. Great to be a teenager. Bad to be a student these days. I guess it's good to be a kid if you're in this uh, Kid Nation television program. Yes, if you're not one of the ones who was horribly burned by yes. CBS. Mm -hmm. I mean, and when I say burned, I don't mean like, yeah, that rental company really burned me. I mean, how this, this oil is burning the skin off my face. That's what I mean. So 40 children ages uh, 8 to 15 were placed in a New Mexico ghost town for 40 days. He walks behind the rose. There was a little or no contact uh, with the parents. And, of course, you know, these pushy stage mothers found nothing wrong with this. No, of course not. And they were paid something like $5,000 if they stayed for the whole thing. So that's not bad for CBS. No. <laughs> no. Uh, some not. of them would get 20000 if they were voted to be the best participant after uh, 13 episodes. Or the last one alive. While some injuries did occur, <laughs> they were all treated immediately and by professionals. These kids were in good hands and under good care. Sure. With procedures and safety structures that arguably rival and surpass any school or camp in the country. It doesn't really seem uh, that a television program, look, and I'm a team player, but it doesn't really seem like a television program that is, by everybody's agreement, based on Lord of the Flies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really seem like that's a show that's going to go, as they say, without incident. Do you know what I mean? One mother said, my daughter does a lot of beauty pageants, and therefore is used to being closely observed. Okay. Said the mother of Tabitha. It's going to be hard for her to be in a beauty pageant when she's missing part of her face. She may only be 10 years old, but she was willing to take that chance. She may have been crushed underneath the boulder as the bespectacled Jesus figure. CBS did everything to inform us parents. I don't feel I was let down, misled, or... That I was exploited. Of course, that's the mother. Of course. Not the child. Well, no, and she's a, she's a stage mother, so of course you can't believe anything she says. But listen to this. Clearly CBS clearly. will not be held responsible for... Anything. Emotional distress, illness, sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, or pregnancy that might occur if the child chooses to enter into an intimate relationship of any nature with any other person. Creepy. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's in my contract. <laughs> I don't think any of us had to sign something like that. Look, if you uh, agree to be on this program and you uh, you are, in fact, taken out back and repeatedly assaulted by bikers, uh, CBS is not that bearing. And violating this uh, confidentiality agreement carries a $5 million penalty. Welcome to being 10, CBS style. Well, okay, fantastic. I need some sort of, I wish I had a conk sound effect uh, for this, but I really don't. Well, okay. Hey, when's the last time anybody watched that Lord of the Flies remake from, like, 1989? Never. You know, it's not bad. I watched it in high school. It's actually not bad. It's dated because they reference uh, that show Alf. Uh, I but suppose it's... if every other video in the store is rented. <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny. Ah, never mind. I was going to make a note, but you know what? I'll, I'll write it down. Do it later. Okay. Making a little pop culture note to myself. It, and this, we're going to do this little thing later if we have time um, called uh, Whatever Happened to. And it was actually suggested by Richie Bristol, uh, who we worked with at Intercom. And He's who, already contributed. Who has now come over here. Can I just tell you this? Can I Can I tell you? Here's a little secret. I wasn't going to say this on the air, but we have the glorious bastard of the week that we're going to announce later on. And actually, originally, it was Richie Bristol. How great is that? Out of that S, however cool. many thousands of people, he actually, he's not just an employee, 
also a listener, but as of last week, an employee, so he can't win. So we had to disqualify, and we drew again. Uh, but Richie Bristol, actually, Richard Bristol, I'm sorry, it said. Richard Bristol uh, was, in fact, the glorious bastard of the week. How great was that? So that's that's the good news, bad news. So he can't win, but that's because he works with us now. So, uh, well, Is there anyone else at Intercom that might be eligible for that? <laughs> Um, do you mean it's been fired and that we'll be working here? Yes. Or do you mean it might be eligible? Well, they all come here eventually, don't they? Well, there, I, uh, I won't not say that who. there's anything bad about it. No, there are many, um, I will not use names. Uh, there, there are, I have seen, because, you know, the, the Glorious Bastard, I see a lot of those, those entry forms that they sort of whiz by electronically. And uh, there are any number of names one might recognize from Intercom uh, that are part of the Glorious Bastards database. I won't, uh, I won't say who. But you might, they might recognize some of those names. Uh, what was my point? Oh, anyway, so we'll do a little thing later called uh, "Whatever Happened to," and it was actually prompted by Richie Bristol because I don't. It was I think it was on uh, the, the uh, my uh, the MySpace, and somebody had said it was like a "Whatever Happened to." What were they asking about? I don't know. I think it might have been the Portland anthem that we abandoned after the Young Immortals guys came in and just just owned us, just completely schooled us with the one that they'd written in like thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like "Whatever Happened to the Portland," and then and then Richie Bristol said something like "Whatever Happened to." I don't know, like, whatever happened to Bob McNabb or somebody? Um, so later, uh, I don't even know if the audience has these burning questions, but later we'll uh, we'll throw it out there and see if anybody has a whatever happened to da 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 insert Rick Emerson show segment, former personality, former bit, former whatever. So we'll do that. But just in a generalized pop culture sense, Tim, yes. you know, I was reading this uh, an article that a guy had written last night, and this guy had written an article that was actually kind of, I won't say it was touching, but it was sort of poignant about a thing that you never really thought you would feel poignant for, and that was the old-school video rental store. And I'm not talking about, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, the blockbusters of the world. I mean, I'm talking about in the early days of the videotape renting revolution, um, before there were huge chain stores, when, like, ev- do you remember when every single neighborhood, like, on every corner in about 1985, 86, 87, like, every single corner suddenly had a video rental store? I mean, you talk about a growth industry. I mean, it was like hockey stick growth. It just was, like, growing at, like, 500% a week. And there's just some, there was a great, weird, sort of dusty, sort of low-budget, great, sort of shabbily romantic vibe to a lot of those old-school video stores uh, where you would just kind of wander around. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Kristen is totally with horrible shag carpeting. And then, like, the, the bad drapery or beaded curtain in front of the adult section. And if you were underage, that was always sort of fascinating and, and mystical and whatever. And just, like, the worst, not even... Um, not even B horror films, but like C and D list horror films. You know, what's this? Well, it's Nailgun Massacre 3. And I mean, sometimes you would rent that just because it seemed so terrible and awful and just completely unredeemable in every sense. Um, that you would rent it. And yeah, and yeah, there's a t- bunch of like uh, uh, torn posters on the wall for like movies you'd never heard of. I, I found one Australian movie that I was in. Once and I I should have rented it that day because I never saw it again. Oh, you should have rented it and just kept it. I know. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, Marcus Five. There, starring Paul Williams. What was it called? Marcus Five. Marcus Five, with a K. I actually have in my basement still some videotapes that I rented from a place like that in Salt Lake, and then the place went out of business the next day. I went back to return them and it was good. boarded up. Um, but um, Kristen is weighing him. Killer Santa Two. Are you talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night? Because there's actually five of those. Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night. That's an effed up movie. The original Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, I rented that. My friends and I rented that. I think we rented it four different times before we were able to make it all the way through. It was just so disturbing. I mean, 
really, any movie that starts off with a kid's mom having a forcible sexual assault at the hands of Santa Claus, really, that's a movie that you're entering into a dark tunnel there. Anyway, but I was thinking about that, and I don't want to. I'm going to turn on the whole thing. But it was sort of. A, I had forgotten about that experience, Annie, in the, my hometown of Kennewick. A place called Discount Video, and Discount Video, which is in a strip mall right next to an H and R Block, probably gone by now, um, was just a little beat down, curtained, shabby, shag carpet, torn posters, everything, little video store, um, dimly lit, like a bunch of burnt out fluorescent bulbs in the ceiling, like filled with dead gnats. Um, the guy who ran it. I don't think we ever confirmed this, but it seems likely. The guy who ran at the store we always heard was that he had gotten out of prison because he'd killed somebody years ago. He um, he was not missing an eye, but he had, like, a scar on one eye and, like, was covered in what were clearly sort of homemade tattoos, bad mullet. Looked like he'd probably cut you if you looked at him wrong. You know, probably take you out back and give you what for. And there was a picture of, how was that movie starring Lyle Alzado? The Electrocutioner, or something. It was it was like Lyle Alzado of NFL fame, um, holding a huge, like, 9 million volt ray gun that he would kill evildoers with. And it was just the worst straight-to-video movie. And that was like the marquee poster they had on the front when you would walk in. Um, and we would just rent the worst movies there, like the class of Nukem High and, uh, God, what else? Jesus, what else? Well, all the Silent Night, Deadly Night films, just Attack of the Creeps or whatever, all those bad trauma films. Um, like Slumber Party 5, The Stepfather with Terry O'Quinn, later of Lost fame. So those were good times. I really do miss the video store. You know, Tim, I would go so far as to say this. For yeah. people of my generation, mm. people of my... That's your I don't really care, but I'm killing I'm killing time acknowledgement. And I appreciate you indulging the stupid, uh, pointless uh, little speech of mine. I would go so far as to say this. As sad as this may be, Tim... That to my generation, my gen the, the the cheap discount video rental store is the drive-in of of Generation X. Sadly, you know, also vanishing, also sort of romantic, probably more so than it deserves. Also a thing of the past. So, okay, we're done. Uh, here's Tim Riley. I'm sorry. I just I just did that thing there. No, it was very informal. Fell into a whole wormhole in my head there. Uh, Queen's Brian May will be facing a different kind of audience today. The guitarist is scheduled to present and defend his doctoral thesis this afternoon at England's Imperial College. He's getting a Ph.D. He had been a student there in the early 70s, but abandoned his academic efforts to devote himself full-time to the Queen. Or Queen. He was inspired to formally return to his studies last year after collaborating in the book Bang! The Complete History of the Universe with astronomer Sir Patrick Moore. And... Chris Lintot. A submarine full of cocaine has been seized off the uh, Guatemala coast. Excellent. Call Michael Bay. Four suspected smugglers were operating the self-propelled submergible vehicle, and it was located and seized by officials of the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, U.S. Navy, U.S. Coast Guard. What are they doing down at the Guatemalan coast? I don't really know. And by what law does they, do they say that they can go into somebody else's territorial waters? Well, we're... We're Americans, Tim. Yeah, I suppose. Do what we like. Uh, when the uh, suspects realize that they've been spotted on drug surveillance aircraft video patrolling the Eastern Pacific, they scuttled the vehicle but weren't able to escape. Did you ever see in those old comic books where you could order a submarine for like $5? No. I, You know, it was like supposedly some submarine that you could actually fit inside of and it would go under the water. And it was like $5.99 and you could buy it in the oh, back like of old Marvel comic books. <laughs> I actually found a bunch of old comic books from the 60s and I saw that for sale and I've always wondered exactly what that was. 
So apparently we're patrolling uh, southwest of the Mexico-Guatemala border. Well, it's what we do, Tim. Uh, looking for uh, submarines full of drugs, and we were successful. Because we are bringing democracy to everyone, whether they like it or not. Oscar winner Mel Gibson will take mandatory AA meetings off his calendar. At a hearing in Malibu this morning, a judge ordered the actor's attorney that Gibson's attendance at the sessions can now be voluntary. So I guess he's all done and all healed. Also in court, Gibson's attorney submitted proof that the actor has paid all his fines stemming from his DUI arrest last July. The incident sparked controversy when it was recorded that Gibson unleashed anti-Semitic tirades. It's funny how that's just sort of gone away. Like, nobody uh, nobody really talks about that. Also, it's frustrating to me that in a, a post-TMZ world, we still have never seen that footage. Oh, that, that is true. Doesn't it seem wrong? I mean, we're Very Americans. Wrong. We're allowed to... Uh, I demand we deserve to see footage of Mel Gibson drunkenly screaming anti-Semitic comments. I mean, I pay taxes. Mm-hmm. I, it should come. It's like when you open a bank account, you get a toaster. Part of paying taxes, I should get to see the Mel Gibson footage. God damn it. Yeah. All right. Don't let it happen again. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Time for penis watch. Fantastic. Here's uh, your Take penis watch for... Take a look at my uh, enormous penis. penis. My troubles start melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis. Everything is going my way. A drunken barista is accused of exposing himself to barmaids before battering a guest at a wedding. Apparently, uh, the victim uh, said he would seriously beat people up. The best man is Christopher Dunn. He so offended women and children guests at the country hotel reception. That uh, David Baird Dean stepped in to drag him away. Then was threatened by police after uh, being called by his guest. He did offer a brief apology and pleaded as a barrister. This is not in English. <laughs> this is written all Britishy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hours later, the heavily built lawyer allegedly beat his victim until he was unconscious after ushering him into a uh, sun terrace outside the venue. Can I see you on the sun terrace? And I bet it was really politely, too. Mm-hmm. That's what the British... May I... Can I give you a bunch of fives out front? Thank you. Uh, Mr. Dean suffered severe injuries that surgeons had to use metal plates and screws to reattach his upper jaw and both eye sockets to his skull. Oh, we have to reattach your eye sockets. Mm-hmm. He Not... was unable to go back to his job as a mechanic for more than no, a year. Oh, really? <laughs> Not just reattaching your eyes. The penis part is on the next page, I think. The, uh, oh, not go. just actually reattaching your eyes, actually having to reattach your eye sockets. That's great. Well, the court heard on how July 1st that uh, Dean had, Dunn had been invited to be one of the two guests at a ceremony to reaffirm the wedding vows of Rosalind and teenage Russell Poole. It's, uh, it is alleged the trouble began when Dunn was asked if he had a tattoo of a white rose, to which he replied, I'll show you a white rose. Then unzipped his trousers and pulled out his penis. He then began waving it around in front of the teenage bridesmaid and the female guest. That's when Mr. Dean stepped in. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Earlier, the court heard that uh, Dunn had been drinking and boasting that he served as a Marine and once bit a police dog. <laughs> Would you like to see my penis? Also, I bit a police dog. Hey. Part right. two. This comes to us from uh, Spain. If a Spanish matador, Fernando Cruz, ever has children, he'll have doctors at the Valencia Bullring to thank after he suffered a double goring. The 25-year-old Cruz is recovering in the hospital after a second bull in uh, Tuesday's uh, bull race uh, caught him in the upper thigh, throwing him into the air and goring him in the groin Uh, once he hit the ground. Oh. Newspapers reproduced the eye-watering bulletin issued by surgeons at the bullring after a two-hour operation. And a film of the incident was played on the main evening news. Fantastic. I love the Spanish. 
Uh, Cruz suffered from two horn wounds, about 25 centimeters in length each. One involves the uh, fibers of the abductor muscle and dissects the femoral artery. The other involves the scrotal area and inviscerates both testicles. <laughs> he was sitting up in his hospital bed on Wednesday. Astonishingly, he's expected to be back in action. Whatever that I, might I be. Don't, I, I don't know what kind of action that really is. I don't know what kind of action that is either. Oh, eviscerated both testicles. Mm-hmm. Worst phrase ever. Excellent. There's your penis watch. Double variety. Take a look at my enormous penis. And my troubles start melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis. And everything is going my way. Is this Jerry Lewis? Or Clyde? Oh, my God. Of Jerry Lewis on uh, today's Perez Hilton, yeah, that really does look like Clyde after an all-night mm-hmm. bender. It does. Like if Clyde were to get up in the morning after having sauced it all night. Oh. Yeah. And how sad that it looks like Clyde, and yet our first reaction is sort of. Oh. He doesn't look like Clyde. Oh, you're lying. Now you're just trying to cut. Now you're just trying to look better than Tim and I. Oh, don't pick on Clyde. I'm not picking no, on Clyde. We're, we're picking we're... on Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. by saying he looks like Clyde. I'm sorry. Which that would be really a vast improvement. Out. No, it would be great. Well, he doesn't look like a pumpkin, at least. Right. Remember when Jerry Lewis had that big pumpkin head, the big oh, Percocet head? Oh, yeah, that was freakish. And he still uses that stick figure of him from the 1940s. Sure, he a line drawing, and hey, lady, and he looks like one of those hydrocephalic kids that would always tip over in gym class. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see, what do we do? Okay, well, here's what we'll do. When we get back, we've got calls to get to. Uh, Ed McCarthy will join us. Apparently, there's some law in uh, Atlanta where you're not. It's that law that we've been talking about. We've been making fun of it, but I guess they're going to do it where you can't have saggy pants or they'll throw you in jail. So we'll talk about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, we've got these phone calls to get to. I believe somebody is trying to start a high concept topic. I'm looking here at the screen. Uh, well, we'll see how that works out. Uh, later on, another New Hampshire Association of Broadcasting entry for Tim Riley to judge. We'll listen to that. Glorious Bastard of the Week. Uh, and the top five most perfectly crafted pop songs of all time. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. It's Veruca Salt. Radio program. 503-733-2970. Oh, you know, this, the booming bass here in the system reminds me, we got to talk about that white stretch thing. Hold on, let me make a little note to myself. White stripe. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, in just a moment, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Ed McCarthy. Uh, we'll, uh, let's see, get to the phones after that. Uh, later on, the New Hampshire Association of Broadcasting gives us yet another young dream to crush under a hobnailed boot. Uh, later on, top five most perfectly crafted pop songs of all time. Uh, and we'll try to roll out another edition of Whatever Happened To. Ladies and gentlemen from the South, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. CNN radio correspondent and mellow man about town, Ed McCarthy. Hello, sir. Rick, a pleasant good afternoon. How are you? I am fantastic, Ed. How's life? How are things? How is, uh, how's life done, South? Not too bad. I'm pretty hot today again. I've got the, uh, the steamer going. But we have had uh, so many days that have been near 100 or above. In fact, some places getting like 101, 102. 
pretty hot. But you, you get that every once in a while out there, don't you? It's now, called it's called summer. Yeah, is it now? It's not as bad as like because you know you go to like uh, Florida or Arizona or something. There is no such thing as a house without air conditioning. I mean, it just all the houses come with air conditioning because it's understood that it'll it'll just kill you dead otherwise. That's true. Uh, they have problems like in big cities like Chicago though sometimes with that. Do you guys have get... the uh, the actual air conditioner? or Do you have like a swamp cooler? In this place? Yeah. Sometimes I don't know what it is. I think it's the asbestos cooling the place. Ah, fantastic. So for <laughs> so you so you'll be cool as your lungs are just being disintegrated from from <laughs> probably, within. Um, so. Do you got is this true? Now is this true or is this one of those things that's going to get floated and then never going to actually happen? This this ban on I swear to God, I'm reading this right on the page. A ban on sagging pants that is sweeping the country. Yeah, it, it's not going to happen. And of course, this councilman that I spoke with today, he uh, admits that you know it's not going to go anywhere, but he's going to try it anyway. And uh, you know, even his aides say that uh, you know this is an idea that is more or less out there to set an example, uh, make the bar go a little higher, but not to go on the books. Because if it does, the minute it does, you know what's going to happen. The ACLU will step in there. Well, and it's just, I mean, this is really the kind of thing that people point to when they talk about the government really needing to find better things to do. You know? Well, according to this, I mean, this is this is the amendment here. I've got to read this to you. Uh, you know, he says that uh, this would be uh, a law, an ordinance, that would state the indecent exposure of his or her undergarments would be unlawful in public places. It would go in the same portion of the city code that outlaws sex in public. You know, if you do that, you're just going to eliminate all. It really, it, there there are so many bad, terrible, unpleasant, awkward things about being a teenage boy. If you make it a crime for a girl to show her bra strap in geometry class, you're just going to take away whatever motivation there is for a young man to go to school. You know what I mean? It's just oh. going to be gone. <laughs> There'll be nothing left. There'll be no reason for a boy to go to school ever again. Ed, sex. Um, it goes from the younger years. Listen All the way segue. up to the older years. What a transition. Listen to you with the flawless segue. I was just wondering how we were going to get from baggy pants to your grandparents uh, getting it on in the back room. I, this, this, this story comes out about every 18 months they'll realize it. And it's about how, you know, uh, Matlock and his wife are, uh, you know, engaging in some sort of hot love somewhere. This is a survey on sex. Excuse me for laughing. I mean, no, no, no. You're, you're right. And, you know, it's true. And, and it just brings to mind. A few jokes that I can't tell on the air. And it also brings to mind, let's be honest, when we talk about this survey about old people having sex, let's let's all just speak as adults here. The other thing is it just brings to mind, always in every one of our brains, it brings to mind specific relatives that we do not want to think about in that context. Oh, that's right. You know, I, I tell you a couple of, of good jokes concerning this topic, but then I'm sure the consultant we'll, that would be listening would, we'll, uh, would probably do some. We'll do that on our uh, on our, our high-definition channel. We'll do that on uh, Channel 2. That's yeah. right. Anyway, this uh, this study is uh, it's, it's interesting. It says uh, about three thousand men and women were surveyed, and uh, they gave them a hundred bucks to do the thing so, for two hours. So that was about fifty bucks an hour. So they said, "Okay, we'll do it." Fantastic. Uh, well, it's. I mean, look, you can't just be saggy pants all day. You do have to handle the hard issues at some point, Ed. So, <laughs> hey, what is your when you're trying to cool down on a day like this? What is your cooling drink of choice when it's uh, when it's hot down there? It's a bottle of water because I'm stuck in the afternoon here at the CNN Center. No longer home in the afternoon. Ah, uh, see, so now you're actually there in the windowless hell of CNN Atlanta. That's right, and, and darn glad to be here. All right, excellent, Ed McCarthy. As always, a pleasure. Enjoy your southern afternoon. We'll talk to you soon. Sir. Thanks, Rick. There you go, Ed McCarthy, ladies. And gentlemen, the one and only Ed McCarthy. All right, fantastic. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Here's what's coming up. We have um, 
Uh, Tim Riley at the bottom of the hour. We'll do this uh, entry from the New Hampshire uh, Association of Broadcasting. Uh, we have the top five most pre- uh, expertly crafted pop songs of all time, Whatever Happened To. And we have something else we were going to do, I think, but I don't even remember what it was. Well, here's what we're going to do. We have this guy. Uh, we're going to get to this guy in hold who I believe has a high concept topic for us. Ooh. Uh, but first, before we do anything else, let me just, uh, without further notice, so I can just, with the whole... I'm just totally killing time because I don't know where this is. Hold on a second. Uh, where have I put my glorious bastard of the week sounder? Oh, here we go. I gotta make. I just gotta lock this into place, ladies and gentlemen. It's that time once again to announce the AM970 glorious bastard of the week. Have you signed up? Greetings and salutations, Seth Dexter. You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, Seth Dexter, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including tickets to Rockfest the 12th, August 26th at Portland Meadows, a copy of Kissology Volume 2 on DVD, and the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are just a little bit better than everyone else. Enjoy your newly elevated status, and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. That is why God created the less fortunate. Thank you for listening, Seth Dexter. You are the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week. Sign up at 970.am. All right, fantastic. God damn, I love that music. It's great. I I, I would like to think that it's... It reminds me of the the credits of Indiana Jones. Oh, I could see that. I want to say that it's an old Western show, but I think it might just be generic production music from Joe's studio to our to our left here. All right, let's. Uh, I think this is a high concept topic. We can make this a high concept Thursday. Hi, uh, Hi I... Rick Emerson. Show hello. Hi, sir. If I could just briefly interject first, I think it's rocking what they did to Ed Whalen. Oh yeah, Ed Whalen and Coin. Well. I, and look, I'm not trying to be a dick when I when I when I say that I didn't even really watch or know a lot about him. I just I don't watch network news, and I understand that's local, not national. So, but you know, it, it, it also, and I'm not trying to diminish the fact that they blew a guy out after like 30 years, but it just doesn't surprise me. I mean, and I think uh, Tim's actually out of the room right now. I think Tim would say the same thing. It just doesn't. I don't think it would surprise any of us because. Well, I mean, he's quality and he, and he had a style, and that's why Coin had to let him go. But I'm I'm a local sports fan. I have been for years. The, the guy the guy had his angle. He he was just he was original. And plus, I used to be the janitor at Stadium Fred Meyer. I mean, he was well informed on the air. But believe me, he was well informed off the air because he used to come into Stadium Fred Meyer. And believe me, the guy was well informed. But Great guy. Yes, anyway, the, the I cracked your code, thing, sir. You, you had me thinking um, about these video cassettes. Yes, sir. Uh, the, the video store. And then I thought, well, what is the ultimate 80s video cassette? And it kind of like ultimate slash random and a, and a brief criterion here. Uh, the the actors involved would probably have to, their careers would have to be in the province of the 80s or at least peak in the 80s, maybe a genre that was especially popular in the 80s, and, and try not to be tempted to go straight for the blockbusters and, and, and the, the decade-defining movies. All right, so hold on. Hold, 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 hold on. Hold on a second. Just so you know, because we're on, a, we're on like a nine-minute delay here. So just so I can recap for people who are calling in. So this high-concept segment is, what is the ultimate 80s bad rental? What is the ultimate 80s bad 
rental. We were talking about the bygone glory days of the uh, kind of scuzzy video stores. So I don't know if I'm going for bad, but just random. You've got a bag of 80s videotapes. Right. You reach in, you grab one. What would typify the 80s? What, at what the actors that were in it would really seem to peak in the 80s, etc. All right, so there's 503 7... What the hell is that? 503 503-733-2970 for this uh, high-concept segment on today, high-concept Thursday. May I vote? Yes, go ahead, sir. Okay, I would say, you know, in my top five for this subject would be something like maybe the devil in Max Devlin and or Maximum Overdrive. But at the top, Maximum think, Overdrive. At the, at the top, I think I'd have to say, I, I've, I've narrowed it down to Running Scared. Running Scared with not the recent, uh, not the new movie of the same name, but you're talking about the Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines opus. Yes, I mean, it seems like both of their careers peaked in the 80s. It was a cop buddy film comedy that seemed to kind of more or less come to, to flavor in the 80s. So it seems to me that that, that would be the, the ultimate random video cassette from the 80s that I pulled out of the proverbial bag. Uh, let's also talk about Maximum Overdrive for a second. I think I might try the, play the Maximum Overdrive trailer tomorrow for our show start. Hold on, Maximum Overdrive, because Aaron's going to be in there. Was that a crossover where, like, the, the geeks also, you know, love the movie that the, the stoners and the rockers and the jocks all like? And it's a it was terrible like a film. It's awful. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen it like a hundred times, but it's awful. And here's the great and bad thing about Maximum Overdrive. As much as we talk about how every... You know, look, the, Stephen King just has terrible adaptations made of most of his work. That's why the good stuff, right, like Shawshank right. or Misery, that's why they stand out, because most of Stephen King's adaptations to film are terrible. And, you know, the, the, the real unforgivable sin about Maximum Overdrive is that he did it himself. He wrote and directed it himself. And I remember the TV ad for Maximum Overdrive, where it was like Stephen King looking right in the camera, and he's like, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And it was just terrible. It's the worst movie. It fits into the category also because it, it seems to uh, to have been replayed a lot during that decade on cable, and it seems it doesn't get a lot of mention nowadays. It seems to just, like I say, be in the province of the 80s. But thanks, Rick, and uh, right. and lastly, Tim Riley, news deity. All Thank right. you. Thank you, sir. All right. Maximum Overdrive, the uh, the lasting impact and gift from Maximum Overdrive is the fact that Maximum Overdrive gave us the ACDC song, Who Made Who? Uh, because at the request of Stephen King, ACDC did the soundtrack from Maximum Overdrive, which was a couple new tracks, mostly some old stuff, but Who Made Who is from that film. It's the only good thing about Maximum Overdrive. It's a terrible film. Based on a short story called Trucks, which is actually much better. Uh, all right, the uh, subject of this uh, high-concept segment is what is the ultimate 80s uh, video rental? We need to high-concept music at some point. I have this stupid Internet uh, medley here, but it's not very good. I don't really like it. Let's see. One big fiesta I don't think I have a high-concept bed. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Jeffrey, hello, sir. Yeah, uh, Short Circuit 2. Sh circuit 2. Can I just confuse with one. Can I confess something? I've never seen Short Circuit 2. I know. I'm a terrible person. It's just number five. And that just reminded me of Batteries Not Included. Batteries, which was a, 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 like a, a, an executive uh, produced by Steven Spielberg movie, I think. But I don't think Never. it had anything to do with it, which is why it sucks. Is Short Circuit 2 just the robot and then the uh, Middle Eastern guy? The uh, the the uh, the the guy was Pakistani or something. So the, is, that, is that the thing with that film? Yeah, I, was, I saw it in the theaters, so... Uh... 
I was too busy throwing milk duds. Of course. It's no short circuit one. I can't really remember. You know, short circuit, the original was supposed to be like a dark, gripping black war drama. Uh, and then they screened it, and of course, it just, it, it, it just you know, it was, it was crap. It was terrible. And so they decided to go back and refilm it as a zany comedy, which is why they got Steve Gutenberg. Because when you talk about 80s, uh, 80s zany comedy, Steve Gutenberg is really your man. So. Why do you know these things? Um, because uh, I never, ever, ever had a girlfriend growing up. <laughs> really, I could try to make up some other reason, but that we all know that's why, sir. All right, thank you. Thank you. Hey, look, look at this. Kristen is saying she says my front. Uh, Kristen Bowie is in for Scotty J today and tomorrow. She says my mom is friends with the guy who owns the robot from Short Circuit. Really? Okay, Kristen, we have to talk about this later. We have to get that out to the next listener party. I mean, come on. Just the idea of a bunch of geeks coming up to touch the hem of number five. All right. Oh, jeez. Uh, you know it's true. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, this is Dennis. Hello. Hi, how are you? The spectacle of Dennis. Hi, how are you doing, sir? Yes. I'm doing well, but you know, the point, I had two of my, I had a perfect choice for the 80s, and actually, the Kristen's comment was even better, the fact that these movies made her a vegetarian, which of course was Faces of Death. Oh, yeah, Faces of Death. I, you know, it's... You guys have got to get out of my brain. Not only was I uh, doing a Wikipedia on D.B. Cooper last night, I was also reading the Wikipedia article about Faces of Death last night because someone had sent me an email. I forget they had referenced Faces of Death. And Faces of Death is a really interesting slice of pop culture because... It, it is. It's amazing. You know, they had, I don't even know how many of them they made. I think there was at least there's, five or six of them. There's six of them. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's six and then several knockoffs. And then there's a, a fake documentary called Faces of Death Facts or, Fact or Fiction. Um, the guy who created Faces of Death... And who actually plays several of the parts in that movie? Because it's all like like ninety percent of it is fake. I thought yeah, I totally thought it was real now, when see, I was that, younger. That's the thing. If you go back and watch it, it doesn't hold up. If you go back and watch it now, it is all like so laughably fake. The only things that are real are the assassinations. No, well, there's I'd have to go. Back. I haven't watched it all the way through, but there's a couple sequences that are real, and it's typically like newsreel footage. Like okay, because I remember like the electrocution with the eyeball popping that's, out. That's and like stuff. full on fake. That's so weird. Oh yeah, it's amazing how much that scared you when you were a totally little kid. Totally fake. You thought it was real. Yeah. And the, nobody the, ever told you that it wasn't. No, like the woman hitting the ground after jumping up the building. That's totally oh, fake. The thing yeah. with the monkey and the hammer is totally fake. Like it's all like there's the one about the guy being attacked by an alligator, which is unbelievably. fake fake if you watch it now the only stuff in the faces of death that's real is there's like i don't know there's like some autopsy footage or something like that's real and i think there's some vietnam era footage that's real the rest of it the guy who created that movie is actually in several sequences like playing different parts um he and his girlfriend and like his roommate show up like three different times in that movie as different people uh it's which amazing. is great if you were to look at like something on TLC or the you know one of these uh, documentary channels, I mean Tim's always bringing it up the medical. You know I have four legs or whatever. I mean you see worse stuff that's actually real now yeah. on regular cable. Oh totally, yeah. His name is John Schwartz, I think his name is, and he's the guy who did Faces of Death and I think the next couple knockoffs. And I think he sold the franchise to somebody else. He actually does tours now he'll tour college campuses around halloween and he'll do a uh, little speaking tours where he talks about faces of death which did really become a pop culture phenomenon they made it for like 400 grand and it's gross like 350 million dollars um but it is uh it is pretty it is pretty brutal when you're about 10 years old because they have primed you so much it's all real dude which i totally bought i swallowed all of it um, I was I was right yeah. there with you. I guess now maybe that Kristen might think that it's fake. I wonder if she'd eat a ribeye steak now. No, probably not. It is disturbing oh. in your memory, which is enough. There you go. Yeah, 
It's um, go back now and watch some of it though, because it's just hilarious. Um, yeah, we're like there's. So like, what parts were real then? The, um, the newsreels. There's like some autopsy footage where it's like here's a guy but having not an autopsy. Anybody done. actually dying? No, and then there's and then there's um um there's some stuff that's like Vietnam era stuff. I think that's real. I have a list somewhere that like I found somewhere like the, the scene of what's real and what's not. Um, but the stuff that's faked is really, really badly faked. Like the uh, the guy with the uh, the electrocution where there's like he gurgles foam or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's Alka Seltzer. He said they just like stuck an Alka Seltzer tablet in his mouth and they're like, okay, uh, gurgle around. You know, and he's like, Urgh! and they shot it. I think they filmed it in his basement. Um, and some of Weird. Was, some of it was filmed in the guy's backyard too. And then he totally spliced in all the fake footage among a few real things. And then the the thing that was the blessing and the curse for Faces of Death is that they started that whole thing about it's been banned in 80 countries, which started as like a flat-out lie. They mm. just made it up, and then it became so notorious that it was then, in reality, banned in all of these countries. That really was a perception-became-reality kind of a thing. They marketed it as such a notorious film that everybody then did, in turn, actually ban it. So, uh, anyway, all right. Let's see. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. We're talking about uh, bad 80s rentals. Yes. Uh, hello. Good afternoon. Hi. Hello. Before I give you my fantastic film, i got to ask, did you ever lose a movie from the video store? Do you mean lose, remember... lose or steal? Lose. Um, I don't think so. Oh, remember... wait. No, no, no. That's not true. That's not true. I will say this. I, I rented Fright Night 2 uh, in, like, 1989. I rented Fright Night 2. I didn't lose it as such, but I left it at my friend's house, and he and his family went to Europe for three weeks. And when I returned it, there was, like, $140 in rental fees. Absolutely. I had to pay, like, 84 freaking dollars for Quigley Down Under or something. Quigley Down Under. <laughs> and that's a movie you don't want to pay fees on. Oh, it was horrible. Now you can buy it for four ninety nine. Totally. Well, do you remember when, like, videos first came out? They, if you wanted to buy a video cassette, they were, like, $90. Oh, yeah, to finance it. Yeah, it was insane. Um, so, yeah, I uh, when I finally returned that, I don't think I ever paid it off either. I think I I think it was right around the time I moved away from home, and I think I just dropped into the night slot and just, like, ran, you know, folded up my tent and stole away into the night like a gypsy. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, regardless, here's a great movie for you. Yes, sir. Combine two fantastic things from the 80s. All right. Gymnastics and karate. Uh, what was the first one? Gymnastics. Oh, and uh, karate, uh, gymnastic uh, with a K. Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta. What am I thinking? Oh, Jim Cotta, which was like a forerunner. That wasn't Jean Claude Van Damme, though. No, I think it was like Bart Connors. <laughs> Bart Connors. Mm. Um, there was all of those. There was like uh, there was that, and Bloodsport was an, a similar movie, and that was around the time that those American Ninja movies were really popular. Oh, an American. Wasn't that one of them? Yeah. Uh, no, American Anthem is about bicyclists. Oh, okay. American Anthem, I believe, is about the Tour de France. American Ninja, it's always about Whitey going over and, you know, becoming a ninja master. Uh, and it was notable because the third one starred a female. She was like this buxom blonde woman as an American Ninja. That was when they were really getting, trying to just milk everything they could out of that series. Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta and go out in the yard and try to pretend that we could do all these fantastic karate gymnastic moves. Ah, and that's totally how you said it when you were a kid, too. Karate. Oh, yeah. Karate. You said it Dirk Diggler style. Excellent. Good choice, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we'll finish up this high concept uh, segment today, and then we'll uh, just think there's, you know, really, it, there's like morning shows that just do this for like nine hours a day. <laughs> Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, I think I watched Weird Science way too many times in the 80s. Weird Science was an absolutely bad rental. Do you remember that bad, the TV version they made of that? I don't, but I remember Chet when he got turned into a uh, big milk dud or whatever. A big blubbery thing at the end. Chet, played by Sarah's favorite actor, Bill Paxton. Uh, 
Yeah, that was fantastic. And first, I'd like to butter your muffin. <laughs> the one out of that. Thank, thank you, sir. Bye. I think that movie is what started my hatred of Bill Paxton. Weird science. Yeah, with him and his flaring nostrils and his big gapped teeth. And, and Kelly LeBro- LeBrock looking like she was wearing a bunch of fruit leather. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember just being all angry that she didn't nude up. That's what every guy thought. You're watching Weird Science, you're like, why wouldn't you just have her F you both? I mean, I'm not trying to be crude, but if you created a woman who will do anything you want, you're 15, you're a dork. I mean, clearly you're going to have her just like, uh, you know. Just to get get to business. I mean, that's what every guy thought. It was completely unrealistic. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, I have a, a movie to add. Yes. Um, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. In 3D. In 3D with a very young, snappy Molly Ringwald. Oh, that's right. And that was the movie that had the guy with the big claw hand that he yeah. would put right at the camera. I think that was Michael Ironside or something. or Yeah. Whatever. But um, it's actually a pretty fantastic movie, but it, it's just one of those films that... If you saw it when you were in the mood for it, it was great, and if you didn't buy into it, it was just horrible. You know, Space Hunter is one of those movies that it was like Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, which was a movie that was only good if you were able to see it in, like, the 3D mode, because otherwise you realize that most of the film was just spent with them trying to figure out interesting things they could shove at the camera. Or crawl. 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 Because the only thing good about Crawl was the video game that came out of it. Right on. Oh, and um, uh, a second one, just The yeah. Wraith, because that's Sherilyn Finn in it. All right, Axel, anything with Sherilyn Finn is great. Absolutely. Have a good day, man. Thank you, sir. All right, three more, and then we gotta we got to move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Yes, hello? Hi, what is your observation? Uh, hi, Rick. Uh, on that uh, Faces at Death deal, Yes. I, uh, I saw this back when I was about 12. I'm 29 now. Mm-hmm. And... This guy stands up at a podium and pulls out this manila envelope. Bud Dwyer. Oh, my God. That's real. That one's full-on real. We've talked about Bud I Dwyer. I remember that one. Yeah. I could not sleep for a week. That man. will mess you up. Um, Bud Dwyer is, uh, I don't mean to step all over you here, but Bud Dwyer, for people who don't know, was, I believe it was in Philadelphia. Um, okay. And he was a politician who was being charged with a bunch of corruption and bribery, blah, blah, blah. He calls his press conference on live television, middle of the day. All the news crews are there. And he has a manila envelope and a bunch of smaller envelopes. This is all on TV. He um, passes out the smaller envelopes to his staff. Later, it turns out they were all like goodbye suicide notes. Right. And then he opens the manila envelope, pulls out a 357, bam, shoots himself in the head, uh, bleeds to death right there. And there's one quick-thinking camera guy who zooms in and, you know, catches the whole thing as he, like, bleeds to death right on camera. Yeah. And there is sort of a whole generation of kids who were, and it was a snow day. That's the creepy thing about this. It was a snow day, so all the kids were home from school that day. Uh, And it was right in the middle of the day. So there's a whole generation of children in Philadelphia who saw that as little children and have now grown up and been totally warped by it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know it warped me, man. Uh, Hey, F. Matt with a bushel of broccoli. Excellent. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Okay. One more, and then we have to uh, we have to break here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. The little mad guy. We would go to the video stores and try and find the worst movie, and the guy who got the worst one was what we would watch. Right. And it's this little kung fu movie from like 1979 or 81, and it's this little Chinese guy who's really portly, you know, way too portly for a kung fu flick, and he gets teased and laughed out of his village by these people who knew kung fu uh-huh. so he goes off into the jungle and he starts following a frog and he learns kung fu from the frog and then he goes back into the village still portly is but this no, an animated no, film no 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 this is actually a kung fu movie okay and this guy comes back into the village and kicks butt with frog kung fu I'm totally renting this. I gotta find this somewhere. What's it little, called? Little, little mad guy. Little mad guy. I am little all over guy. that. Thank you, sir. All right. 
All right, final four words as we close this topic out. Hell comes to Frogtown. All right, uh, which I hadn't thought about until that guy prompted me to think about it. All right, back after this. Tim Riley, are you preparing news for us? I have it all along, yes. How exciting. All right, plus an entry from the New Hampshire Association of Broadcasting, uh, an exciting installment of Whatever Happened To, if we have time for it, and the top five most perfectly done pop songs ever. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Churchill's cabinet war room. Yeah, that's what during uh, the Battle of Britain in the Second World War when he went in underground. Very cool. And he had a direct line to uh, Roosevelt under there. And is this is this where he would stay with like during like when when London with the, was being bombed so relentlessly Sometimes, during the Blitz? And, yeah. Interesting. You know what I'd like to see? Uh, because I would love to see from where. Uh, Murrow did all all those famous broadcasts. Oh, that's broadcast house. But you can't take a tour, I asked. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. But the building's still there. Because that's legendary. Yeah, it's broadcast house. It's still there. Interesting. You'd see the building itself. Uh, we'll uh, go to the news here. Uh, in just a few minutes, if you're on hold, uh, hang on tight. we got a couple. These are some interesting calls, actually. We we have brought the curtain down in our high-concept segment. We've I was talking to Kristen Bowie, who is in for Scotty J today, and doing a fantastic job, by the way. Um, that we've that we've started to do the high concept uh, Thursday or Wednesday or whatever the day it is segment, and then we, as they say, we sort of uh, we sort of dim the lights on that after a segment because otherwise, then it ends up being four hours of me taking calls from guys going, "What about a Chainsaw Hookers Five? Which is great, but then it makes it impossible to get to things like this guy wanting to know. This guy, this is a great guess actually about the X in Sarah X Dylan um, that we'll get to here in just a few. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A pretty young thing pleads guilty to scamming people out of their money from magazines that were never delivered. She masqueraded as a fake cheerleader, but she was actually a 20-year-old con artist selling fake magazine subscriptions across the country, including here in Oregon. She swindled the good people of Lake Oswego out of their magazine subscription money. Then she went out to West Linden, Oregon City, and did the whole thing. I used to be addicted to crack. Now I'm trying to sell magazines. Tasha Mitchell was earning $1,200 a day. She was finally busted in Great Falls, Virginia. You know, the, here's the thing about $1,200 a day. I mean, even if you only work two two weeks a, a month, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what? That's that's like it's fifteen grand or something. I would be so tempted. I, I am so tempted to become a criminal sometimes just because you can really make good money there. Uh, here's the thing. I guess it is nature's way of just limiting this, uh, like a self a self-regulating a, a sort of thing. You can make so much money in some of these criminal enterprises, but none of these guys are smart enough to make the money and then just get out. You know what I mean? If you can make twelve hundred dollars a day in some low-level criminal enterprise, why would you not just do that for like six months and then bam, your you know your feet are on the shores of Maui? Well, here's a sweet young thing in pigtails going door to door in Lake Oswego. Who would turn her down? Hello. Hi there. Mm-hmm. It's a right, little then. school girl. She really, she really could pull it off too. Mm-hmm. She does look innocent. Um, it's like, you know, it's like you, you hear about those those you know crack dealers or whatever. That, like there'll be some book of, like Freakonomics. They'll talk about this. There's some crack guy who's making like five grand a week. I just don't understand why. If you're gonna do that, and I'm not saying you should be a crack dealer, but if you're if you're gonna do that, 
if you're making five grand a week, it just seems so obvious that if you can do that for like four, five, six, seven, eight months, then, I mean, you have enough to go live wherever you want and kind of start doing whatever you want. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's completely absurd. A woman in the throes of passion apparently didn't want to cuddle afterward. Police in Gilbert, Arizona, say the woman stabbed her husband in the chest during intercourse. Yeah. She's now facing attempted homicide charges. The couple were in the process of a divorce yeah. and trying to make up. Well, it didn't work. They were having their uh, uh, suburban home appraised when the incident occurred. So that sort of make up and break up sex all at once. Mm-hmm. Yes. After the appraiser left, 26-year-old Juan Carlos Gomez showed his wife, 23-year-old Phelan Gonzalez, the divorce papers. She began to cry. Her husband began to comfort her, and one thing led to another. Okay. Then the woman allegedly pulled a knife from her duffel bag and stabbed her soon-to-be ex-husband in the chest, but she is sorry. He has a collapsed lung and shaken libido. <laughs> uh, collapsed lung sounds so unpleasant. I'll put that on the top of the things I don't want to be afflicted with. A Caracas family was forced to send a murdered son to the morgue in a taxi after waiting five hours for police to show up, and they never did. Where? Caracas. Where is that? Venezuela. Okay. South America. Oh, I see. We dragged the body to the edge of the creek, and after five hours, we hired a taxi, one family member said. <laughs> That's the worst day ever. What have you been doing? Crouching down by the creek with my son's corpse, waiting Car- for a cab. Caracas is one of the most dangerous cities in Latin America, reporting dozens of murders each and every week. An anonymous donor paid $970 to the Colorado Springs Utilities to forget the reminder of a $1,200 water tab billed to a man whose toilet malfunctioned while he was away for two months. Lee Cole, who lives in a uh, uh, retirement home, Lee Cole, oh. uh, learned his bill was eight times the normal water usage. An anonymous donor contacted the Gazette asking to see the water bill, then went down to the utility office and paid for it. The man is identified only as Joe. The utility forgave the bill because it failed to follow its notification policy. And apparently, uh, well, the toilet was running while he went on vacation. I think that's all I have at the moment. Show oh! Me. Yes. Be as careful as you can not to run over some 17,000 runners and walkers on the highway this Friday. They're going to be walking from Mount Hood to the Oregon coast. This is some sort of silly relay or something or other. Why are they walking to the... Never mind. They think it's very safe and, mm-hmm. and helpful. Let's walk by the side of the road all day because and all night. It, yeah, it's safer in the country than it is in the city, as we know. I'm just picturing... Yeah, seriously. Just picturing some guy giving them a three count and then shooting them in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, little Stephen King reference there. Well, let's take these exciting phone calls, Tim. And then, uh, do you want to play the New Hampshire Association of Broadcasting demo you've got? Oh, would I? Let's get these calls. Uh, we'll just go through this bank, and then we'll move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, this is John. I'm a long-time caller. And, uh, you know, for, for a long time, I've always wondered what the X in Sarah's name is. Yeah. Uh, do you have I a... I think I might, yeah. I yeah think... Do you have a guess, sir? I, I, I do, actually. This um... won't... Hold on, let me just say, first of all, your guess is great. Tim will think it's great. I'll think it's great. Some of the people in the audience will. Sarah will not know what you're talking about, and it's simply a generational thing, I believe. Well, that's good because, well, we couldn't see her blush on the air anyway, but, yeah, you know, I... We couldn't I what? Like, oh, blush. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. We, you, <laughs> go ahead, sir. Well, no, Javier Hollander, you know, that was, you know, I was, I was fairly, uh, I got kind of, um, well... A little fairly personal with some of the entertainment magazines because I was like you, I couldn't find dates when I was young. And yes, hold on I would a second. Just buy that for the literature. Let's know, just stop so. for a second. Do you know who Xavier Hollander is? <laughs> nope. 
Okay. Are you looking her up? Yes. That was oh, before she was born, I think. Yeah. I think that is. Oh. <laughs> Kristen Bowie inexplicably knows who she is. That's back yeah. in my high school. Hooker. Age. Yeah, no, she's the happy hooker. But I think um, it's, yeah. She wrote a series of books. She wrote a series of books and then yeah. later wrote a, an advice column. So for, she was a hooker who was an author? Yeah. And, and a then, happy one. And then, yeah, and she was ecstatic about it. And then she wrote a series of advice columns for uh, magazines like Penthouse. Very hot. Yes. And, and, and it kind of fills out the picture with Sarah's sexy voice. Creepy. Okay. Thank you. Yes, yeah. that is where I got the X from. Okay. Excellent. I thought so. Thank, Thank you. Excellent. Thank sure. you. Well guessed, sir. You win a prize. Oh, good. I blow up doll, maybe. You don't beat. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the first what guess, too. Blow up doll. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I'm glad he hung up before I had to tell him I was lying. He doesn't really win anything. No. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. It's Kyle. I got a quick question. Um, I'm talking about those uh, short story horror movies. Yes. There's that one about the little creature that comes out of the wall and sucks the breath out of the kids. Cat's Eye. Yeah. With Drew is, Barrymore. Is Is that... What series is that out of, though? It's not. It was just. It was based on a series of stories from Stephen King's book Night Gallery. Uh, there was a book called Night Gallery, which actually, by the way, is is it's probably one of the single best Stephen King books there is, even though it's an anthology of short stories, made into a an anthology called Cat's Eye. James Woods was also in that, and Quitters Incorporated. Uh, Robert Hayes of um, Airplane Fame was in that, and one called The Ledge. Uh, there was the Drew Barrymore about a gremlin that comes out of the wall and tries to suck her breath, and then she's saved by a cat. Yeah, it was called Cat's Eye. Okay. Actually, it's not all that great, but when I was a kid, it seemed fantastic. It's not all that great now. It's okay, though. It's a good way to kill an afternoon. Didn't they, didn't, uh, TBS, I mean, TNT do another short story, uh, Stephen King thing? Probably. There's been, I mean, that guy has just written so much crap. I mean, not, not, just, not crap, but I mean, he's written so much stuff. Some of it good, some of it bad. Uh, I mean, really, probably as of this moment, they're probably making 15 different Stephen King films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the movie's called Cat's Eye. It's not bad, though. You should go back and give it a watch. It's, there's some great moments in it. Catch on, you uh, or something. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, CD Game Exchange might have that, sir. I bet they will. All right, Thanks. thank you. All right, two more, and then we got to do this uh, national, uh, this New Hampshire thing. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, while you're in London, you really ought to go to the Imperial War Museum. The Imperial War Museum, what is that? It is the British Military Museum and has a tremendous series of both photographs and pieces from World War II, and I believe they now have an Enigma machine on display. Really? Which is pretty cool, and a V-2 rocket and a bunch of other really interesting American, British, and German equipment. I would love to see huh. an Enigma machine, which, of course, is a famous code-making machine uh, well, from World War II. Am I right? Am I, is that the, we're talking yeah, about the same exactly Enigma machine? That's exactly it, and, they, and they, they may have tours at Bleckley, which is where they actually did the code-breaking. But they had like a – this was several years ago. They had a, a code-breaker room set up and an Enigma and an intercept uh, Piece and they showed the computer that was used to break Enigma, the first you know pre-ENIAC computer. Right. Right. So it was very. It was a really interesting jump into a whole section of history that sort of been painted over, so we wouldn't know about it. Imperial War Museum. Very cool. I'll add yeah. it to the list, sir. Thank you. Have fun. Thank you, my friend. All right, there you go. Enigma. There was actually a movie starring Kate Winslet, produced by Mick Jagger of all people, it came out a couple of years ago about the Enigma project, which is trying to break. Because um, I think, wasn't it, the Enigma machine was created by the Nazis, I think, if I've got this right. I think it was created by the Nazis, but then the British finally got one. God, I'm trying to remember how the story works. I think it was they figured like, it out. Yeah, and I think it was they like the, back they found one on a ship or something, and then they had to sort of back, yeah, they had to reverse engineer it. Excellent. All right. Uh, okay, so do we have this, uh, 
Well, oh. so Tim Riley has been selected as a as a judge in the New Hampshire New Hampshire Association of Broadcasting Awards for this year, and so we have a series of entries from aspiring or in this case, uh, longtime newsmen in New Hampshire. Yeah. So uh, I worked at this radio station they were about to listen to. And did you work for this guy, under this guy, with no, this guy? No, this guy worked uh, at another station in town, but was working at that time. So he is. And what town is this? Uh, this is Dover, New Hampshire. It's Dover. on the seacoast. All right. Uh, this is uh, WOKQ, uh, 50,000 watts FM. Excellent. The big station. So this is uh, Don Bryan and WOKQ News at 8 a.m. from November 14th, now, 2006. Have you, uh, now, when is the last time you heard this guy? Was it when you lived there? Yeah, probably when I lived there. So that's probably how long, what, 15 years ago? 20 years 20 ago? Years 20 ago. years ago. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here you go from WO, what is it, OQ? WOKQ. WOKQ. Waking Crew, 97.5, W-O-K-Q, Dover, Rochester, Portsmouth, 97.9, W-250, A-B, Manchester, playing the best country. Live, local, and dependable. Think of New England being a big country place. From the this is the big country station. Good morning, WOKQ. Radar weather cloudy with occasional rain. The news brought to you by Franklin Pierce College. Education that delivers online, in class, or a combination. Any place, anytime you choose. I'm Don Bryan. Two New Hampshire police departments are being sued by the parents of a bystander who was killed as a result of a chase. Can you pause this for a minute? I don't think I'll be able to say anything bad about this guy. Mm-hmm. He's, he sounds great. Yeah, he sounds good. I'm stunned. But uh, he, he's been on the air for like 30 years there. Seriously, he should have honed it by now. Mm-hmm. I uh, these, Those last two just set the bar so low, I guess. Oh, but yeah, I mean, more of those. He's really good. Okay, let's uh, roll a little bit more of it. 28-year-old David Gonyer of Laconia claimed that officers from Laconia and Belmont were grossly negligent in chasing Rodney Gladel last December after a vehicle stop. The New Hampshire Assessing Standards Board is holding the second of three forums tonight. Oh, this guy makes me feel so inferior. Including the view tax. The first forum last week had an overflow crowd and had to be I think that 1991 production bed underneath. view mm-hmm. should be factored into properties tax assessment. Salem Selectman Ronald Belanger said the town should investigate selling ads on the town property like police cruisers and fire trucks to raise money. He said the idea may sound crazy, but it's worth investigating if it will lower property taxes. The Manchester Transit Authority is planning to buy 20 video cameras for school buses. Spokesman Dave Smith said the cameras will help deter bullying Good and processing on problems this too. for disciplinary action. All universities in Iraq are ordered closed for the day until security can be assured. This after some 150 people were kidnapped from a government research institute. WOKQ Sports Celtics lost last night to This guy's enunciation is flawless. This is really good. WOKQ traffic and weather together next. Traffic and weather together. Excellent. Education that delivers bad spot. Anytime, is this a commercial? Yeah. You Awesome. These commercials, uh, these beds all sound like that Crockett theme from Miami Vice that we play. Mm-hmm. They all sound like our, our Zen relaxing bed. Yeah, these are old. Uh, Citadel bought the station now, but when I worked there, it was owned by two old spinsters. And they used to pay me $92 a week in an envelope in cash. They're going to say they paid you in buttons or something. Which, would you like some jam? We can't pay you, but we have all these preserves. Pretty much. It was like that. In cash. They used to pay me cash. $92 a week, and I worked a 48-hour a week. I worked uh, midnight to 8. Was it on Fridays? Yep, it was you, on Friday. You know who did that up until, well, this is, I mean, 15 years ago, but I mean, that's not that long ago. When I, when I was in still living in Washington, I had a friend of mine who worked at Kmart. And Kmart paid you every Friday in cash, hmm. which is an interesting thing. I mean, that, and that game was a big corporation. I mean, it wasn't like some. Was this a. Was it was owned by two women? So it was still it a was, mom and pop station? 
it, it was owned by the uh, same company that owned the station, Nashua, but these old two old spinsters were old friends of this the owner of it, so he put them in charge. Fantastic. I've actually worked at a couple of those mm-hmm. uh, uh, radio stations where it's it, just some guy who was, like, gifted the station somehow, or he, like, knew the right person, and they would, do you ever want to, do you want to run a radio station? Well, sure, why not? And it was, like, the public affairs director from some college station that would be given an actual commercial frequency to run. But it was, it was eerie because the 500-foot tower for this thing was, like, two feet from the window. That's fantastic. Excellent. So I think that's as good as it gets. Yeah, so far. well, that's okay. No, I uh, that's that's good. I mean, he's clearly he's the best we've had. Yep. I mean, I actually have to say this. He's actually good enough. He should be somewhere else, probably. Yeah. Should point that out. Maybe Manchester. <laughs> is Manchester? If you live in New Hampshire, yeah. is Manchester the big the big market there? Yeah. Is there uh, if that that's where you aspire to go if you're going to yeah. stay in New Hampshire? Yeah. All right. After I got there, after 21, there was no other place to go except out of the state. You had peaked. You had uh, had you had peaked. plateaued. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh. Well, let's get uh, like two calls, then we'll break. We'll come back with the top five. More from Tim Riley at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we'll do this uh, whatever happened to. Uh, we'll do that after the news at the bottom. Let's see here. Um, uh, I just don't even know what to I'm just going to hit the random button here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. It's Bob hey. Here. What's up, sir? Uh, just wanted to uh, realize that I probably had a more lonely childhood than you did, or at least a teenage life, because uh, American Anthem was not about uh, cyclists. Well, what am I thinking of? American Flyers ah, with American. Kevin Costner. American Flyers. American Anthem, was, this is so depressing. It's the one with Mitch Gaylord, <laughs> um, the, uh, the gymnastics one. I think it, these were all movies that came out like in 84, 85, and everything was like American this, American that. Or, or about ninjas or, or yeah. karate. Yeah. yeah, American Anthem was the uh, gymnastics one where he teams up with, uh, I can't even remember the girl's name. That's, that's even more depressing. Um, and yeah, and he just uh, brings back his gymnastics career. There and, was, uh, I mean, we do go through stages of movies in this country, but like that was a period of time when it, that we seized onto weird, unlikely sports and made movies out of them, uh, or physical endeavors like being a ninja. There was also, I can't remember what it is, it was James Woods. James Woods was in this movie that came out in like 88, 87, something like that, and I swear to God, they tried to make it like a gripping, really compelling movie about a debate team, about a high school debate team, and look... I was a high school debater for several years. Good Christ, that was a terrible, boring film. You can't make an exciting movie about a high school debate team. It's there, not possible. There's a new one coming out right now. the joke reference about you all being master. Yes, no, I'm not going to. That, that joke is beneath me. Well, what? Right, Sarah? Um, two movies. Yes. Near Dark. Okay. And uh, Legend, because it has Tom Cruise and his teeth aren't perfect, and you can all laugh at it. Let me ask you this about Legend. Legend. Is it true that the entire movie Legend is, in fact, a dream taking place in the mind of Decker from um, Blade Runner? Oh, I don't know. I've got the Ultimate Edition, and he hints on it, but he never really says. I think Aaron told me that, but he could just be pulling my lariat. I don't really know. Yeah, well, that is Aaron's. Style. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Yep. Are they making a new debate debate team? Yeah, movie? it's some like kooky like Napoleon Dynamite. Oh no, movie. no, no! I'm gonna kill everyone involved with it. Yeah, I saw. I actually saw a preview for it They're when I watched that die. crap movie Sunshine. Uh, and everyone in the theater was laughing. I'm like, oh my god! Please no. tell me it's not actually by the people who made Napoleon. I don't think so. Well, it's really kooky because this guy has a dream to be a debater, but he can't. He has a you know a stutter. A speech impediment. Yep. I before you even said it, I knew it. Oh, seriously. And then he teams up with some. And then he has a crush on some girl. Oh, there's going to be a disemboweling. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. It's just oh, sons of bitches. Oh, they'll all pay. 
All right. Yeah, no, that debate. Well, you know what it is, and the, the final observation, then we have to break and we'll come back. Um, so, you know, we're talking about bad movies about, it's all, like in the 80s, it was all gymnasts and, and, and ninjas. You know what it is now? And I know I'm like the billionth person to say, you know what I am sick of? I'm sick of movies about, um, the, the whole joke in the movie is that it's people acting really serious about a kooky sport. Because you know what I just saw the other day is that that Balls of Fire movie, which is about ping pong players. And you know that there's one about competitive eating in the works. Right now, I can just guarantee you, there's a guy making like a bad Will Ferrell type movie. But it's going to be about a guy who takes it really seriously. Competitive eating is my life. Cut to him shoving a bunch of dinty more stew into his mouth or something. We've had like 15 movies in the last two years about guys taking wacky sports really seriously. Like that's the, the whole pit we're stuck in right now as a country. Fills me with the urge to defecate, as Pink Floyd would say. Okay, yeah, please. Thank you for adding that. Pink Floyd. Thing. I think it's time for a break so you can do that. <laughs> like if anyone hadn't heard that song, they'd think you're. No, right? isn't that what? Isn't that from the trial? Where the big talking yes, butt. from the trial, but you're not supposed to quote that. All right. Are you talking about the big talking? The big talking ass. No, it was a a hyena. I thought it was an anus. With a hyena. Anus. Here's that the white no stripes. Sense. Remind me. To... Remind me to talk about this white stripes thing later, too. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Yeah. All right. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Yes, I and by the way, I acknowledge that Sarah was right about the talking area in the Pink Floyd at the wall. I forgot about that. It's his mom, yeah. Yeah. He works right into the mom. That and guy's then, a little messed up. Yeah. Yeah, you got to, uh, really, see the game exchange? You got to go to there? Pick up the wall? I need to, immediately, if not sooner, because I get, like, urges to watch this movie. It's so great. And even if you're not, like, into the commentary or whatever, there's some other documentaries there about making the movie and the concert. Yeah, I can never again watch any of the concerts that they did in the 80s because it just depresses me. Right. Yeah, it's... Uh, I can't even look at it. It's just, it's so unfortunate. It's just, and it was just, and that, and that the whole thing that the wall was just, and I, I can't get talking about Pink Floyd again, but I, the, the whole thing about the wall is that it was just, it just came out of Roger Waters hating his audience. Um, and as, as, as I, I can't even take credit for this. As my wife said, though, you know, a guy who hated his audience, he sure gave them a lot because it was just massive. Probably the biggest, most adventurous stage show ever. For a rock concert, man. I can't think of anything that tops it. Uh, all right, we've got two calls about the Enigma machine. I'm going to flip a coin here. We'll see which one we take. Then we'll do the top five. Hold on. All right, heads, we're going to go with Steve. Uh, tails, we will go with Chris. <laughs> heads, Steve. Sorry, Chris. Steve, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. How Hi. Are you? What's up? Hey, the Enigma machine. Uh, just to let you know, I was a, a submarine radioman in the 80s. Uh huh. And the U.S. Navy was still using this as a code machine. Wait, now, is that because they were cheap or because it still worked really well? Because it worked really well. You basically have about 512 million possibilities when you set a code into that thing. Right. That's the way it was set up. Now, it, the reason that it was finally, the code was actually finally broken is you were right. Somebody captured it. It was the U-505, which now sits at the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry. Uh-huh. But when that submarine was captured... They, the, the, the machine itself, the hardware, was very important, but the thing that broke everything was because they had not destroyed their codes. And they were supposed to throw it overboard or burn it or something. Exactly, and they had not destroyed their superseded codes. So the uh, Navy actually captured 
all the codes that have been used prior to that for about 90 days. So they were able to just set those codes and decode every message that the Nazis had sent. That is so cool. That, oh. is, so, that is so great. Excellent. There's Thank a lot you. more detail about it, but that's about all I'll, I'll bore you with. Cool. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm not boring at all. That's great. That's Steve. Yeah, I'm not like a freak for code stuff, um, but... Um, you know, but I, but I am a big fan. The Enigma machine I know is pretty legendary, so I'm a big fan of that. All right. Uh, we'll roll the top five here in a second. Then Tim Riley at the bottom of the hour. Uh, and then uh, if we have time here, we'll get to this uh, whatever happened to. Let's see what I've, I got to do a lot of stuff today. I've got Good no. Job. I've been really productive. Scotty J gone. Connection? So let's see. Uh, I've got. We're doing the top five right now. I got to the national or the New Hampshire uh, thing. The glorious bastard of the week. We've done the high concept thing. Well, I think it's not so much Scotty's fault as it is that he's really distracting. Yeah, that that is that is that is true. his fault. Then. Yes, he's not here. Let's blame him, um, because he sends us not. And look, I, I love Scotty. I really do. He's a great part of the show. He helps out a lot. He's good at many many things. Scotty does overhelp sometimes, by which I mean that Scotty's always ready to stand at your elbow and go, "Hey, why don't you?" You know. You know what would be great is if you... pestering emails the entire time. I really... Play this into break right now. You know what to make your show better today is if you... Play this completely unrelated soundbite or bit. Um, so, anyway. And, uh, like, by the way, lest, lest you think that uh, we're talking about him because he's gone, we freely talk about this way in front of him as well. So, let's uh, roll the top five for today. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen. At long last, after endless years of pondering and prevarication, we have arrived at this, this top five, which is 34 years in the making. A top five that I have agonized over, equivocated on, uh, about which I have just had innumerable internal struggles and arguments. We now present these, and this is only in my opinion. Your mileage, of course, will vary. Uh, this is the, in the opinion of me, Rick Emerson, the top five most perfectly done pop songs of all time. And uh, Sarah can attest to this. Even up until just about half an hour ago, I was... It, it was a personal struggle for I you. Really I really was. I was battling back and forth the forces of various uh, the forces of various songwriting preferences, waging a war within my heart. Um, I knew which songs were going to be on here. I just couldn't quite nail down the order. And really, i got to tell you that even now, the order on some of these, it really is up for debate. But uh, I don't think I've ever done this list. I've talked about it. I've referenced it. I've, uh, made, I've sort of made sort of backhanded uh, comments about it. But I've never really done it. Uh, so here we go. We're just going to jump in and bite the bullet. Uh, according to me, myself, Rick Emerson, the top five most perfectly done pop songs of all time. Honorable mention at number six going to our good friends, formerly known as the O'Neaters. The Wonders with That Thing You Do, written by Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Schlesinger, Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne fame. This song has never gotten old. I'll say that. I can't even tell you now how many times I've heard this song, how many times I've watched this movie. It's never gotten old. So are the actors who play these roles, are they the actual singers in this? No, I, I believe it is Adam Schlesinger himself doing the singing. Adam who? Schlesinger. <laughs> Schlesinger. Schlesinger's cat. It is uh, Schlesinger Adam, comma Adam. Hello, Scotty J. 
And then a bunch of, I think it's like some studio musicians. I don't think any of the actual guys sing. I know Steve Zahn doesn't sing any of his songs in the movie. Like when he sings that Dance With Me Tonight song. But you know what? I have never gotten tired of this song. And a lot of times a movie, that, you know, a song that you like, especially a sort of bubblegummy song, like a bubblegum itself, the flavor gets chewed out pretty quickly and you get tired of it. I have never grown tired of the song. I mean, it is flawless. Is that why they call it bubblegum pop? I don't know the answer to that. That's interesting. You know, and I own a, I should know that because I'm a big bubblegum music fan. I almost today did the top five bubblegum songs of all time, actually. It's funny you ask that question. I have a huge book at home called Bubblegum is the Naked Truth, which is a fantastic history of bubblegum. I actually don't really, I, I either don't know or have forgotten where the term bubblegum came from in terms of disposable pop music. Maybe that's why. That might actually be where, because it was considered disposable at a certain point. I love bubblegum. And lamp. <laughs> Rick, are you just saying you love various objects in the room? And it's got a little solo in the middle eight there. And it's got hand claps. It's got everything that a pop song should be. If I could just write one song that sounded like this, seriously. And I've said that about a million songs, and this is one of them. If I could just write one song that was like this, I one step closer to death. It's just flawless. It's perfect. I mean, these songs are all perfect. They're just varying degrees of perfect. This is why I did this early in the hour, too, because I know I'm just going to give it my own worst impulses and listen to all of them. So great. Come on, Rick. It is. Come on. Come on. Counting at the top five most perfectly done pop songs of all time. Number five, ladies and gentlemen. The Ramones and Sheena is a punk rocker. With the exception of um, Rock and Roll High School, this is kind of the closest they ever got to sounding like the Beach Boys, which is sort of what they wanted anyway. What I can't figure out is if those are background, uh, those are females in the background, or if it's just like Dee Dee doing a really high-pitched ooh. You can hear those background vocals. They're very faint. Can't tell if it's a woman or not. And then it's got that little, that little bridge thing they do where it's like a tambourine. Love me a tambourine. Come on, how great is that? Come on! It's just an angrily screaming. No, it's just... You know what it is? It's like, um... Not Zoe Destinella's... Uh, what's her name? Feruza Balk says... This was... We had this line in an early version of Bigger Than Jesus. It's like Feruza Balk says in Almost Famous. When she's talking about... She's like... She talks about loving a silly little piece of music so much that it hurts. I mean, this song is almost painful to listen to. It's so good. And I mean, if, you know, that sounds daft to people who aren't real music fans or aren't really into a specific song or a band. But if you love music or if you love a band or a song like that, then you know exactly what we're talking about. I mean, it's so good that it's painful. Ah, all right, I have, to, I have to rein myself in. Counting down the top five most perfectly done pop songs of all time, uh, in the opinion of me, Rick Emerson, at number four, ladies and gentlemen. 
the one and only Sam Cooke. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about science. Now talk about a, a song that just hits you when you're a 16-year-old in high school. But I do know that I love This might be the perfect high school love song. It might be the best high school love song ever written. It's just charming. And it's two minutes long. I mean, verse, chorus, does the middle eight, it's out, finished, done in two minutes. And he gets that little la-la-la thing going on here. God, what a voice, too. Counting down the top five most perfectly done pop songs in all the world. At number three, ladies and gentlemen. The Cure and Just Like Heaven. I 100% agree with you on that. Oh, how great is this song? Come on. And it builds in layers. First, it's the drums and the bass and then the uh, that little guitar there and then or the keyboard and then the guitar line right there. And then he comes in with those little tracer notes on the guitar. I mean, they just don't... I mean, there's all kinds of songs I want to put on this list that don't fit. But, I mean, this absolutely deserves to be on here. Some of these songs just defy editorial comment because they're so self-explanatory in their greatness. Man, that Robert Smith has a big head. Yeah, no, his head is huge. And the hair doesn't help. <laughs> no. Well, I think he decided, like, I've got a huge head, I'm just going to go with it. And it's like he just... Oh, he has that cry. No one cries like Robert Smith when he sings, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Part there. What a pretty man. He, uh, you know, and just such an amazing songwriter. 
song too i mean in terms of construction and composition of the way they played it's it's a very basic song but every note is right every note is exactly where it's supposed to be all right counting down the top five most perfectly done pop songs in all of history number two ladies and gentlemen what number is this jim Okay, no, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm sure. The Monkees and Daydream Believer. I could listen to this song over and over again it, on loop it, for weeks on end. It's got all these nice little trills like the alarm sound. What's it ring? And I rise, wipe the sleep out of my eyes. My shaven razor's cold, and it sings. I mean, that's just the most—it's just the most poignant melody. I mean, it's a melody that is both uh, beautiful and cheerful and sad all at once. There are times when I think this is number one on the list. There are times when I think this is the, the best pop song ever. Kind of as a Neil Diamond feel to it. You know, Kristen has a great point here. She said that she's talking about, you know, whatever happened to the use of things like sound effects. You know, Pink Floyd, speaking of Pink Floyd. You know, they really revolutionized everything using sound effects. Now it's just the singer piled on himself a thousand different times in the song. It's very true. I'll let it go here until they until they kick in with these harmonies. It's the harmonies at the end that really close the deal. Because it's such a beautiful song, but these harmonies at the end are just so perfect. And again, it's such a simple song. Such a basic song, but everything is exactly where it needs to be. I'm a sucker for songs that are happy and sad at the same time. Uh, see also that Hey There Delilah song, I mean, which kind of defines instant classic. All right, counting down the top five most perfectly done pop songs. Why, Rick, what could it be? I can't possibly imagine what number one could be. It's, uh, it's a mystery. No one will ever know what number one could be. Just issue this when you're born. In Rick Emerson's America, when you're born, you'll get inoculated against polio and you'll get a copy of Surrender by Chief Trick. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Mother told me, yes, she told me, and 
part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, news here in just a second, and then we got some calls. Let's see. Observation on the Ramon song. Guy wants to give crap about top five. Okay. And then Dave. Oh, Dave is the guy who got mauled. Remember that guy who was talking to us yesterday, and he tried oh, to tell yeah. a joke, and then he, he effed up the punchline like four times, and it turns out it's going to be bleeding because he's just been attacked by his cat. Cats are evil. Uh, we'll get him in just a second. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, here's Tim Riley. Oh. From the Ministry of Truth, this hey. is Tim Riley. A garbage man saves an old lady's life. Now, Robert Williams was doing his garbage pickup route. He'd only been on the job for a month, but he knew he smelled trouble. He scanned the neighborhood that he was driving, and this happened in Hazeldale. He saw some smoke coming from the roof of a house. He banged on the door, and there was nobody answering. He ran to a neighbor's house where he was told there was a woman in there with limited mobility. Fire crews arrived just in time to take the woman to safety. So the garbage van is a hero. Damage of the house estimated at $10,000. Virginia Senator John Warner said President Bush should announce the start of the redeployment of U.S. troops from Iraq by Christmas. That's right, he used to be a hawk, now he's a dove. He says the redeployment of a few thousand troops will, uh, well, will test the administration's ability to do something about this. I say to the President respectfully, pick whatever number you wish. You do not want to lose the momentum, but certainly in 160,000 plus, say 5,000, could begin to redeploy and be home to their families and loved ones no later than Christmas of this year. Yeah, right. which is, I mean, yeah, the Christmas mishmas. I mean, Bush already said that he's not going to do What did he say? There will be no end no, of the Iraq in war in his administration, That's during right. his administration. So the, the magic number is 12009. Mm-hmm. It's a mess for somebody else to clean up. Yeah, that well, clearly. I mean, why, why should he bother to fix it? That's sort of a, he'll break it and then Hillary gets to fix it. Lucky her. Well, the uh, Freedom Fries congressman faces a new challenger. Uh, Representative uh, Walter Jones of North Carolina is the one that changed French fries to Freedom Fries when he got mad at the French for not participating. Well, now he's calling for troop withdrawals from Iraq, changing his tune after initially supporting the war. His uh, problem is compounded by another conservative who's against it and is running against him. So that's that. That's all our news for today. And that's for now. The extent of the news, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Riley, great news later. man in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, the top of the hour all the way through uh, Tom Legas. Let's hear from the man who was mauled by a cat. That's sure to be hilarious. <laughs> oh, the man who was bitten yesterday? Now, remember, so Dave called up yesterday and was trying to set up a joke. And I could tell there was a punchline on the way. And the cat ruined it. And then, yeah. yeah. will do every time. And then, yeah, you just, you, you ate it like five times. And then I actually was sort of chastising you for not being funny. You're like, dude, I'm kind of bleeding here. And then you just hung up. So what? please to explain what happened. Well, I'm on blood thinners, and I have this 24-pound alpha predator that I live with. He's part Bengal and part Siamese, and he's, you know, fully intact, has all of his weapons and, and sensors. And while Maybe wait- part of this equation should be changed, sir. Yeah, well, I was, while I was waiting on the phone like I was today, I was playing with a cat with a laser pointer. Does this seem like a good idea to you? Probably not, which yeah. is why he's downstairs antagonizing the housekeeper. Uh, and I left the laser pointer in my pin can. And anyway... So you know this, and Kristen has just typed something on the screen, it's very true. You know that eventually you're going to turn up in a news story and the cat will have killed and eaten you. Well, you know, it's show prep, Rick. No, that is true, and I, I appreciate you <laughs> recognizing that, sir. If only all the listeners were so thoughtful as to sacrifice themselves for our humor. Well, you know... I, I live to serve, Master. Yes. 
Okay. Okay. So anyway, um, I was playing with him with the with the laser pointer, and when you know, I heard the and I set the laser pointer down. Wait, and what is I'll, what is that? What's that? That's the sound it makes when you come on. Oh, the when we pick up the phone call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Right. So I set the pointer down. The cat heard the noise on my speakers on my computer, and uh, he, I was ignoring him, and I stepped out of the room because I couldn't reach the radio. Something that's part Bengal shouldn't ever be ignored, sir. Yeah, well, he's like I said, he's 24 pounds. He's got all of his weapons. So I step out of the room, and I've got the phone up to my ear, and I'm about to give you the joke, and it's not even worth telling now. But I was about to give you the punchline of the joke, and he hooked me on the ah. back of my right thigh. Okay, that's oh. funny. I was afraid this call was never going to become entertaining. No, and and I should have had more faith. That's great. That's yeah. wonderful. Did it hurt? Uh, well, that's the thing about the the multitude of drugs. I was completely oblivious to the fact of my pending exsanguination. Now, what kind of drugs are you on, sir? Well, I'm on blood thinners uh -huh. and alpha blockers and a whole bunch of stuff for a for a heart condition. Okay. But of course, if you have a heart condition, what you want to have is a 25-pound part bengal that can leap on you. Well, yeah. The, yeah. The, here's the punchline. <laughs> I don't notice the pool of blood around my feet until I'm just, I look down and I see the ah. blood on the floor. Just as I'm about to, I'm trying to concentrate on delivering with timing and, and panache, and it just completely fell apart. So I, I hung up the phone, uh, actually had to put a tourniquet just below my right knee, and, uh, you know. Why do people tolerate this behavior from cats? I'm not trying to be a dog person versus a cat person, but I am saying if your dog did this to you, like the second time your dog did that, your, your dog would be gone. You would have gotten rid of the dog. Why do people tolerate? Oh, people who own cats are masochists. They well, really that, are. That could very well be. But people I, like I, people like cats the way that some people like boyfriends who beat them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not trying to know, and I'm not trying to be flip about that. I mean, it is a it is a it is a microcosm of the same thing. I mean, really, especially I, I do think that people who have cats. They like something that controls and then occasionally hurts them. They really do have a strange, perverse love for that. Well, I live by myself except for occasional visits from They're friends. They're evil. The cats yeah, are and evil, I just sir. have one cat, just that one cat, and I've had him since he was a kitten. I picked him up out of a box. Well, you can't have another cat. He'd kill the other cats. Clearly, we know that to be true. Well, he is a bit of a badass. All right. I, all uh, the squirrels in the neighborhood. Yeah. Keep, I'm surprised away. you have any squirrels left. All right, we got to move on, my friend. I'm glad you're okay. Try to avoid having your cat eat any more of your, your body. Yeah, well, the carpet cleaner will be here in a little bit, so it'll be all good. Disgusting. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye now. Oh. God almighty. Puddle of blood forming at his feet. It's like that sequence in Arachnophobia where, what's his name, Jeff Daniels or whatever, he goes, I haven't heard any crickets in Kanaima in quite some time. Uh, hi, Ed, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Then, hey, Rick. Then we'll get to Simon. Uh, Ed, I'm going, uh, things are going fantastically. I'm um, actually a little bit of crap about that list. Uh -huh. I got so excited this morning when I heard you were going to do that. I thought it was a great idea. This was the uh, top five most perfectly done pop songs of all time, yes. And you start with the Ramones. Great start. And then it went completely downhill from there. <laughs> I like I had the one brief shining moment of, of quality in your opinion. I got so excited because I love you. And then you draw... How would you leave off anything by the Jackson Five or Michael Jackson? Well, this uh, see, and again, it is a difficult list. We already had people saying, how did you leave off Michael Jackson? Somebody said, how could you leave off Elton John? Prince. Uh, the, oh. Prince, the one that nobody has pointed out, nobody has said, how could you leave off the Beach Boys? And, you know, and, and I got to tell you, it kills me to not have a Beach Boys song in the list. That is almost 
if I could just digress for a moment, the Beach Boys, or Elton John for that matter, it's just like, it's like looking at the sun. It's just so overwhelming, the number of Elton John or Beach Boy songs you would, that you would have to choose from, that I almost couldn't because that's just like pulling, that's like pulling one log out of the dam, and then it all comes down on you. You know what I mean? So No, because if it's so obviously perfect, shouldn't it be on, like, the perfect pop songs? Yeah, but I mean, but if, but if you're going to say, look, uh, there's got to be uh, a Michael Jackson song or a Beach Boy song, wh- what are you even going to pick? I mean, seriously. Anything over uh, Cheap Trick or the Monkey. Oh, don't don't start. <laughs> don't start. I, I, you love, can, you I can... love how, like, you're in your own little world of what's genius, and it's great, and it's fun. But are you kidding me? Don't. <laughs> so I, seriously, you know what? I will tolerate you sliding the monkeys, I suppose. But you, you wade into dangerous territory if you start criticizing Cheap Trick, sir. Born in the USA is not on your list. Born in the USC, I would say, see, and this is actually an interesting discussion. Uh, and this is only, this is what Nick Hornby would call one of those music rage discussions, which are great. Um, here's the thing is, it does really depend on your definition of pop. And there is sort of the British definition of pop, which I don't really use, the British definition of pop. And in, in Britain, in my experience anyway, the British music definition of pop is sort of anything that is marketed to the, the, the in a mainstream sense. Anything that you can sort of buy at a Virgin record store or anything that is meant to be consumed by a wide audience falls into the category of pop. My definition, which again is a, a personal one, my definition of pop is it's got to be essentially um, an essentially upbeat hook-filled song. It is. It's got to be a catchy. It's got to be something that is meant to be learned immediately. You know, memorized and hummed along with by the time you hear the chorus the second time through. Um, it's you know. It's got to be. It doesn't have to be, but it is usually something that is sort of bubblegummy or candy coated. Not always, but a lot. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. Um, writes great songs. Writes big hooks. They're pop in a sort of, in the sense that they are sort of made for mainstream acceptance. I don't know that a Bruce Springsteen song is pop in the same way that, like, a, a Beach Boys song is pop. I think they're maybe in the same family, but not in the same species. Just my take. I, I, I get what you're saying, and I understand that, but it just felt like such a letdown when I'm like, maybe ABC or Billy Jean does cry, something like that, and then ABC. I get the ABC Were they out of great white CDs or songs for you? Is that why you want to cheap trick? Yes, I appreciate your... Uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate... No, ABC is a great song. I will grant you ABC by the Jackson 5 uh, is a fantastic song. You could, in that same... Uh, by the same token, you could also say something like One Bad Apple. People will laugh at that, but a song like One Bad Apple by the Osmonds is very much the same. Um, there's... I mean, there's... There are all kinds of songs and groups that it just pained me to leave off of here. Um, I mean, both vintage, like the Jackson 5, uh, and stuff that's relatively recent. There's some Fountains of Wayne uh, songs that are just, that are about as good as a pop song can get. So, it's, but that's, sir, that's why these lists exist. Would it make you feel better if you did your own top five? Um, yes, it would, actually. All right, you can do your top five uh, tomorrow. Okay. Okay, here's what you got to do. Now, do you think you can get it together and get me the uh, song samples by tomorrow? Yes, I can. If not, we can push it till Monday. No, yeah, you might want to try okay. have a job, and they get kind of pissed when I do stuff like that. That's okay. <laughs> Screw them. This is this is art, sir. That's just a, that's just work. This is art. Um, all right. So by Monday, here's what you're going to put together: uh, five songs and an honorable mention. Okay. And if they are widely available songs, you can just give us the list, and we'll get the song samples. If they're songs that are not going to be widely available, it would help if you could drop off a CD or send us the songs. 
I can drive by and drop it off. No All problem. right. So five songs, an honorable mention. Please, for the love of God, don't send us something with profanity in it. No, nah, that won't happen. All right. So uh, and your name is uh, your name is what? Ed. Ed. So on Monday, Ed's uh, top five perfectly done pop songs of all time. Okay. And uh, you, we, you, we can either have you on the phone or in the studio as we do as we do the countdown. Um, you probably should have me on the phone all again because right. of work. I don't think they're going to like okay. if I just bail and come in. All right. So uh, so put together the list, drop off the CD and so forth, and then we'll get you on the phone Monday and we'll count down Ed's top five perfectly done pop songs of all time, sir. Easy enough. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. All right, there you go. That's Ed. That was very nice of you. Well, look, I'm not trying to pick a fight about it. And again, I recognize where he's coming from. I don't know. Ed's top five is a lot of Jackson 5, and Michael Jackson doesn't sound too promising. Yeah, no, and he started off on the wrong foot by uh, by going after Cheap Trick. That's not the way to worm your worm yourself into my heart, sir, but that's okay. I mean, he he redeemed himself. I mean, I'll, I'll give it up for ABC. That really is a... ABC's a pretty flawless song. It really is. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, it's Simon here. Hey, what's up? Um, I'm not going to give you crap about your list. Thank you. But, but I am going to make a comment about something else you said, comparing that Ramon song to being almost as good, or I think you said, like, the best song that they've got that's like a Beach Boys song. Well, it, you know, it, it is sort of, I mean, obviously it's got much louder guitars and whatever, but in terms of the structure and the general feel of it, I would well, say about, they got... About Rockaway Beach? Rockaway Beach, yes. I would also say somebody pointed out, um, Go Little Camaro Go, that, and, um... I know there's something else I'm leaving off. Rockaway Beach. Needle oh, uh, I love her so is another one. I mean, look, they were huge Beach Boys fans. There's no getting around it. There's yep. a lot of uh, there's a lot of Beach Boys songs that the uh, you know show up in the Ramones, and a lot of Ramones songs that sound like the Beach Boys. Well, I, I, for okay. my money, Sheen as a punk rocker is right up there with the no, best of them. The, the worst Ramones song, as they would say, is still better than any other yeah. song. I mean, probably I, I, Rock and Roll High School is is the most definitive example there. And Rock and Roll Radio. Yeah, yeah, good one. Um, anyway, I have a short Ramones story for you. Yes, Back sir. in 81, I used to publish a music magazine in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Uh-huh. And uh, the last, well, I, I went in to do an interview with Joey Ramone. And I love the Ramones. I've seen him probably 20 times up to that point. And I sat across the table from him, uh-huh. and I realized it wasn't an act. Right. It really was he is that he is he is well here's the thing about Joey Ramone and I I never interviewed him but having seen a lot of interviews and whatever with him it's not that he was a dumb guy it's that he was very much a savant you know he did it seems yeah, to me that no, Joey Ramone he you know what it is he was perfect for being a Ramone but out, outside of being a Ramone he wasn't really able to function yeah well I I went home after that to my 9 month pregnant wife and said I'm going to go do something else and I entered the high-tech industry. Yeah, so well, that, you know. That was the end of that. Uh, I never got to talk to Joey. Uh, we talked to Marky on this show last year. We talked to Marky Ramon. And, you know, you see any number of interviews with, like, Didi. And clearly, again, he's a guy that he did one thing really well, and he did everything else really badly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so what are you going to do? All right. Thank and, you, and sir. No yes? problem. Well, I was going to tell you a monkey story, another true one uh, here. Another time, then. Okay. All right. Thanks, thank bye. you, my friend. There you go. All right. Uh, well, I have a, uh, well, I don't have time to talk about it today. How long do we have? Oh, like a minute and a half. All right. Well, I have this kind of interesting Ramones thing that happened to me the other day, actually. Well, um, okay. I don't have time. I'm not going to play the song because it's pretty terrible. But I, uh, the Tim Riley factor, who actually is another one of those whatever happened to things. We didn't get to that today. We'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> Just a little shudder over there. Yeah. The Tim Riley Factor, which was our house band for a couple of years, we did this song that I wrote. She's like a dumb little, speaking of dumb little pop songs. Song oh, called, I Want to Be a Ramon. That I Want to Be a Ramon. Which I I wrote and we recorded it and we played it a few times on the show. I think we played it live at Satyricon once as part of some other some other show. 
Eight hundred octane plated that actually. I forgot yeah, about that. and and porn star janitor. The porn star janitor. Um, and I put it up on the website. It's at rickemerson.com because it's not very good. It's you know like a little homemade recording, and I forgot all about it. And yeah, I got uh, two days ago. I got a MySpace message. From this is totally true, and I'm not saying this to name drop, but I got a MySpace message a couple days ago from uh, a person who is in the Ramones organization. And she's like, hey, uh, who did this song on your website called I Want to Be Ramon? She's like, I thought it was this band called The Huntingtons, because I guess they have a song with the same title. And she's like, but I contacted them, and it's not them. I just need to know who this is so I can give whatever. And I, I messaged her back, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's my name is Rick Emerson, and I wrote and recorded it for this you know, radio show I do, and I put it up, and I didn't really think about it. And so I did it, and she's like, oh, she's like, oh I, I played it for Marky the other day, and he loved it. <gasps> no way. How cool is that? And I'm not not saying that to be big braggy guy. But you don't sound like big braggy guy. That's but, awesome. I, mean, it's, it is I know that you you're, that really haven't been cool. actively seeking that. No, That's awesome. Really, she just happened to find it on the website, and she's like, "Hey, I played it for Marky, and he thought it was great." And I sent back, "I'm like, hey, that's so cool. We talked to him on the show last year. He was a cool guy. I'm glad he loved it. Feel free to do whatever you want with it. You know, just you know, it's it's uh, if you if you want to credit it, it's like you know, it's from this show, and uh, you know, whatever. So there you go." Hey, I'm going to end it with this. Rick, I saw The Cure in August of 1996 at the Gorge. They played Just Like Heaven just as the sun was creeping below the hills across the river. It's a moment that's been permanently etched into my skull, one of the best shows I've ever seen. Thank you for making me feel less insecure about the fact that I've been a fan of The Cure for a long time. Best show ever, Brian. All right, thank you, Brian. We want to thank Cena Radio correspondents Lisa Goddard, Ed McCarthy, Steve Kastam on The Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970 Solid State Radio. In the newsroom, Tim Riley, uh, executive. I'm sorry, I'm doing the whole thing again. Kristen Bowie in for Scotty J. And, of course, the gatekeeper is Dave Zinn. And always, don't let the bastards grind it down. Thank you for listening. Be safe. See you tomorrow. Like us next. Watch out for snakes. Bye now. Come on, Jim. Bye,